Okay. Right, the light is green, and I'm pressing the button. No, 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 no! Coke Would Talk would like to thank the patrons who sponsor our show. So our heartfelt gratitude goes out to Al Hartman, Alan Murphy, Alan Huffman, mm -hmm. Amigos Retro Gaming, Blair Ledoux, Brendan Donaghy, Brian Weasler, Karen Anscombe, D. Bruce Moore, Davey Mitchell, Diego, Eric Canales, Glenn Hewlett, Graham Vebke, Grant Leedy, Henry Strickland, Jason Downs, Jenna Farron, Ken Reichert, Kyle Etter, Malfunct, Michael Pitsley, Rick Euling, Paul Fiscarelli, Paul Shoemaker, and there he is. Paul Thayer, Rob Inman, Stephen Wagner, Steve Batson, Steve Rasmussen, Terry Steen, Terry Steggy, The Backyard Shed Gang, Tom C., Tom S., Tim Lindner, Tom Heron, and Tony C. Thank you ever so much, patrons. Coco Talk is an unscripted live broadcast. Anything can and will happen. The views and opinions expressed by members of the panel and the live audience are their own and not necessarily those of the Coco Talk show, its sponsors, affiliates, or subsidiaries. Open minds encourage, sense of humor recommended. If any off-color comments were made, we're sorry. has been assembled. The audience is showing up in droves or somebody's droving them away. I am not sure what direction that's happening. And we're here for Coco Talk, like it or not. And we've got a panel. Let's go around and say hi to our panel and let's get this show on the road. Mark Bosley, good afternoon to you, sir. Hello. John Lowry. Hey, how you doing? Around elbow. Don't be a uh sternid stunad stunad don't be a stunad okay here we go italian and you're uh you're you're muted ron but that's okay rick euland how you doing oh pretty good howdy folks l curtis boyle good afternoon good day welcome everyone how's it going eh nick marota nick marota nick marota thank you for being here you're welcome hello one of our two special guests of anor today george is here hey george Thank you. Howdy. Howdy, everybody. And we're always annoyed to have Jason Reichert here. Hello, Jason. Hello. My mom says I'm special. Yeah, she does, and your bus driver does, too. And special, Mark Overholzer on the road. He's muted. Hey, Marco. I'm on the road. Glad to be here. And our other guest of Honor is here, Rick Adams, legendary game designer. How are you? 
I'm just fine. Thank you. Thank you. You're too kind. Oh, and so are you. And in the live chat, we have Ken, Ken Make It, and L. Curtis Boyle, and Pilot0352, who I think is Tim Franklin, and Tim Lindner, and Ken Reichert, and Sixie, a.k.a. Karen, author of X-Roar, and 8 Bits in the Basement. Alan is out there. Nick Morota is out there. Tom, Eric, Gunderson in Norway is out there. Samuel Gimes is there. Jim Rye, Frederick. Provancha is out there. Dave and Sharon, that's Mr. Dave, the uh, guy who suggested we do this game on challenge thing. David Craker's out there, one of our many high score challenge participants along with his family. Karen, Ken, you're here. You guys are here. The panel is here. Tom Knudsen is here. Um, uh, Ron from Ron G G G G G says, mention me. Run. Okay. Computer department mistakes made while you wait. <laughs> That's good. That's good. All right. So uh, we're just going to jump into the show. We got a lot of show to talk about today. We got a lot of things to do. Uh, Mikey is here in Provencia. Yes. Frederick Provencia. Well, all you had to do, Fred, was to send me an email and spell it out phonetically. Use big, bold print and put hyphens and dashes and say this rhymes with this and that rhymes with that. And just call me Fred. Just don't call me late for supper. Fred Provencia is out there. Mikey's out there. Mike is a big fan of the news. The news of L. Curtis Boyle, one of Michael's favorite segments. Uh, Fred, thank you for being here, Fred. All right. So we have uh, in our midst legendary game designer uh, Rick Adams, who's brought to us uh, many, many great classics. One of those classic games is the game that all the kids were playing this week. They got off the Snapchats and the Instagrams, and they got on the Temple of Roms. And I believe this game also inspired um, Samuel Gimes to possibly have a uh, Game On-related um, Coco Thoughts. Uh, oh, I know no. I know that it also inspired me to come up with a very special Game On results video that I dedicate to uh, Rick Adams. Scott Cooper's out there. Hey, Scott Cooper. So let's see what uh, Samuel Gimes, our deep thinker, uh, he's, he has deep thoughts. Let's see what they are, and then uh, we'll see what the results were. You guys ready for this latest, this week's Coco Thoughts? Everyone? Oh, Anyone? Yes. All right, here we go. And now, Coco Thoughts by Samuel Gimes. I'm finally done with Temple of Rom. Hey, hey, what? The kids love space. Fantasy D&D <laughs> setting, come on. I know what will make it space. Hey, it's time to send it to Tandy now. It will be much better come in on, space. Come on, gotta keep the setting to feel right. Yeah, still feel right. I said no space. No space. No. Space. No space. No Wow. 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 We'll explain what Gimes meant by that when we talk to Oh, him. so we have yeah, the author of Temple of Rom. Any feedback, Rick Adams, you're muted. But uh, what, are, what, are, what are your words for Samuel Gimes? Were you moved? Uh, there, 
there was a movement off the road. <laughs> <laughs> it was battle related, but well, there was movement. Well, prepare to be moved again here in just a moment when you see what kind of shite I threw together. All right. <laughs> so here is Nick Marota's favorite part where we mention his name. The high score game on challenge results with Nick Marota. Here we go. High score challenge with <laughs> Long ago, in a temple far away. You don't have to be muted, Rick, if you don't want. We want your reactions. Should be in the temple next door. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Uh, I feel like I should have my disco suit on. Disco duck. Leisure suit, Nick. Temple, temple of rock. <laughs> temple of rock. It takes place in space. It's the temple, temple of rock. Takes place in space. Welcome back, everybody, for the results of this week's Game On Challenge. This week, we played one of the most exciting space adventure games ever created for the color computer, <laughs> Rick Adams' Temple of Rom. <laughs> and the participants were Alan Murphy, 3,600, Gary M., 21,500. Damon Beals, 31,800. Nugalug, 35,200. Pink Tina, 47,700. David Craker, 103,600. Tasman, 113,900. Redbeard, 120,600. Good scores. Coco Discord user, 129,900. Buck Owens, 249,300. And the best score this week came from Paulie, how you doing, Fiscarelli? With an amazing score of 781,500 points. Wow. Yeah. Congratulations there, Polly. And thanks for everyone who participated this week. And a special thanks to Rick Adams for creating one of the most one of memorable space adventure again. games ever created for the color computer. They're called Joyce. Temple of Rock. Ooh, if your ears weren't hurting before, they're hurting now. There we go. <laughs> Yeah, Paul that was really special. <laughs> In space. Uh, oh. oh my! Hey, Stevie, can I share? You can share. All right, so we'll get to the story behind why we are keep calling this the best space game uh, made for Coco in just a couple minutes. Uh, let me just share here. 
Yeah, that's it. Leave leave them waiting. Let, make them want more. <laughs> yes, coming up next, the thing in your house can kill you. After <laughs> these, type, these types of sodas may kill you. Coming up, coming up in two hours. Okay, so again, we thank we thank Canadian Retro Things for submitting a sending a video. Uh, sorry. Yeah, so check out the Canadian Retro Things site for retro content, including Coco and other other systems. And uh, yeah, thank you, CRT, for sending us this video. So yes, we have the author of uh, Temple of Rom, Rick Adams here, who also made other games such as Shanghai. And uh, Rick, welcome. Thank you for being here. Well, thank you very much for featuring my game. My goodness. Okay, so should we get to why we're calling it a space game, or do you want to save that for later? <laughs> oh, I can. Well, we can tell them now. Yeah. Okay, so uh, why, 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 why is this the greatest space game written for the Coco? Uh, well. <laughs> uh, <laughs> That assumes that it's a space game, which, well, it wasn't supposed to be. Uh, when I authored this game, uh, it was actually patterned after the fantasy novels of Catherine Kurtz, the Dorini Chronicles. Uh, and so it was a, a fantasy adventure. And uh, Temple of Rom was, you know, uh, uh, had been taken over by the evil empire. Uh, no, not that evil empire. <laughs> That I think that evil empire had was this did I did I do this game before or after Star Wars? I don't even remember anymore. 80, 80 or eighty one, so it had to be after. Yeah, yeah Star Wars was yeah, the Coco wasn't even out when Star Wars came out. So. Seventy seven yeah. Coco. Yeah. That's right. Okay. Um so uh the Temple of Rom had been taken over by some evil bad guys, and so the people that used to live in the Temple of Rom that wanted to live in it again as soon as the bad guys got cleaned out hired you as a mercenary to go in there and, and kick booty so they gave you a um so yeah so, so you went in there to to kick booty and kick the bad guys out and and uh you know oh by the way if you find any treasure you can keep that too uh so i sent that off to tandy and they said oh we love it we love it we want to buy it i said oh go right ahead and uh <laughs> without mentioning anything to me uh, so I got a hold of my first copy of, of Temple of Rom in the stores. And, you know, I kept going again and again to the stores. Do you have Temple of Rom yet? Like, no. Uh, so they finally had it. So I bought it and I ripped open the package and I looked at the wonderful uh, user's manual that I had written for them. And all but about two or three words of my uh, uh, instruction manual that I had written for them with the backstory and everything was gone, uh, replaced with uh, this space exploration game who had been sent <laughs> as a, uh, 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 an, a space explorer to the planet Rolock. And I'm like, Rolock, where'd you get? Oh, I get it. Oh, you may want to spell that, R-O-L-O-C. Yes, yeah, spelled backwards. Oh, color. color. So Ah, uh, yeah. Somebody thought they were clever with that joke. I'm sure. And I don't like it. <laughs> yeah. Sounds like an antacid. Uh, yeah. So the one thing from the original uh, uh, backstory that they did keep was the term transfer portals uh, for the little teleporter dots. Uh, and I think it's it's merely because they didn't know that that's a term that came from uh, Catherine Kurtz's uh, Dorini books. Uh, that was a magical portal. Uh, if they had known that, they probably would have changed that too. So that's, <laughs> so that's why all of the teasing about uh, yeah, you know, oh, it's such a wonderful space game. 
Yeah, talk about marketing getting in the way uh, in, in the way there. We have a we have a someone in Discord chat. I'm sorry, in uh, YouTube chat here that says they read some of the uh, Darius Darini books. So that's yep. good. So the name. So where did the name Temp Temple of Rom? Because it's Rom cartridge, right? Well, it, because it's a Rom cartridge. <laughs> yeah. Was it yeah. true that that was going to be and, a temporary uh, name? Oh, go ahead. Uh, yeah. Uh, so I sent it to him. It was Temple of Rom. We just, you know, Dale and I thought that was funny. So it was like, you know, what should we call it? And it's like, well, Temple of Rom, that sounds fun. Because uh, it's on a Rom cartridge. So uh, sent it to Tandy, and Tandy said, you know, love your game. Love it. Uh, one thing, we hate the name. Got to change it. <laughs> I'm like, oh, look, you know, you're Tandy. You can do whatever you want, you know. That's like the old joke about, you know, where, where does the, two, where does the 200 pound canary sit anywhere it wants? That's right. <laughs> Especially when they're paying you, right? So I told them, okay, well, tell me what the name's going to be and I'll change it to that. And they never got back to me. And so Temple of Ram it was. So that's kind of interesting. That's a good name. It's fine. It sounds kind of ancient in a way, but also, yeah. Well, when you re-released this, you should have called it Temple of Digital Download. <laughs> or uh, doesn't have the same the ring to it right <laughs> going with the dungeons of Dagger's model you could call it temple of more yeah. do you have any idea how well it sold do you have any ideas how well it sold uh i have a very good idea of how, how well it sold and had i prepared those figures for you before this meeting i uh, i could have told you exactly but i i forget it sold a heck of a lot though i could tell you that yeah we, a, a couple of newsletters ago when Rick had unearthed all this stuff from his basement, we put all that stuff in there. We had like one of the letters that Tandy had wrote to Rick and we had some of his mm -hmm. line printer printouts of the original manual and some of the maps and the font design. So a lot of the archives from the Raiders of the Lost basement that Rick Adams had found, we scanned all those and put them in a Glenside newsletter. Uh, yep. maybe, oh, cool. Yeah. The manual is also in Discord. Go ahead. Completely... Uh, well, one page from the manual is in Discord. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that that uh, that basement and that entire house has been entirely excavated now. I have sold that house, and yes. now I live in a little one-bedroom apartment, and I'll be retiring within a year or two. Uh, so I have found all of the the treasures of the lost basement that I that I can can find. So. Oh, did you find uh, anything else interesting? No, not really. Uh, just the stuff that you've seen already. So no uh, no bomb threat stuff or anything like that. So. Did you find a 256 color gimme mode that's been hiding all this time? Oh, I, <laughs> I thought it might be under, you know, back behind the furnace or something. Right. Did you check in the sump pump? <laughs> so, so speaking of hidden, there were some, uh, I don't know, if there were some things in the game that may not have been documented in, in the manual. Oh, right. Uh, right. Uh, do you want to talk about some of those? Well, they were, I think they were, they were they were documented in my manual, but they didn't make it into the manual that Tandy came up came up with. There wasn't um, enough space for it. Oh! <laughs> oh. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, Unfortunately, I'll be here all week. But so actually, there's a detail that I actually completely forgot until I was looking at the source of the game, uh, uh, which came from a disassembly. Uh, because I could never find the original source because that was on three 20-minute cassettes. And those are one with the snows of yesteryear. Uh, but one detail I saw in the, in the code was 
oh, what is this like exception logic here where you might be getting double points? It was calling the scoring algorithm, uh, the scoring routine twice in some cases. It's like, well, what's up with that? So I looked, and, and uh, if the bat is chasing you, you get double points during that time. Oh. Which, which does indicate some strategies that you can use. Uh, now the bat, uh, the 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 bat is on a timer. Uh, so every n ticks, the bat shows up. But if a monster sees you, if you go into a room where a monster is and he sees you and it starts heading toward you, toward you, um, that timer gets set to zero. The idea being that you've seen danger, so your life is exciting enough right now, so you don't need a bat screwing things up. <laughs> uh, but I wanted you, I, I wanted it so that if you just like went out into the corridor and just hung out and just were chilling. And then something exciting would happen to you after a, a number of seconds. Right. So when, when the monster, when a monster sees you, uh, the timer gets set to zero. And so you won't see the bat for quite a while. Uh, but then now you've got a monster chasing you. So you could just leave the room and then the monster doesn't see you anymore. And then the monster says, oh, where'd he go? I don't know. Oh, all right, fine. I'll... And then he goes back to his resting position and waits for you to show up again. So... Theoretically, I mean, if you did that, if you ducked in and out of a room forever, you could just play forever. Wouldn't get very many points that way, but uh, so so there's that uh, double scoring while the, the the bat is chasing you, which means that if you see the bat, uh, that's a good time to duck into a transfer portal because that will teleport you far away from the bat, and the bat will take a while to find you again. I mean, he knows right where you are, and he'll just head right for you, but it'll take him a while to get there. So in all that time, you're just scooping up the double points. Uh, and if you scoop up a, uh, a crystal ball while the bat is chasing you, uh, suppose uh, you went through a transfer portal and, uh, and the bat's struggling to catch up with you again, and you see him again, and it's like when you pick up a crystal ball, there, take that sucker. Um, uh -huh. And then he can't see you. And if you ever uh, have the bat coming at you while you pick up a, tra a crystal ball, you'll notice he just flies away aimlessly yeah that happened to me yeah he'll just go to i think he just goes to the left forever eventually he'll wrap around to the right so he could be quite a distance away from you by the time that crystal ball uh wears off and then he'll know where you are again uh and he'll, he'll head right for you but in the meantime you've been scooping up double points left and right so there's that and then of course uh i had to put in an easter egg uh, so if you keep, if you mash the fire button down and keep it mashed down it, long enough, you will be able to walk through walls. Now that doesn't help you really. There's nothing outside the walls that's very interesting or, well, there isn't anything outside the walls at all that's interesting. Right. Uh, just a lot of empty space. I, I was really tempted to put like a room way off to the side that you could only see if you walked through walls, but oh, you know, wow, yeah. end, I, I didn't, didn't have enough room to put that. I was, you know, I was thinking in terms of, you know, like, uh, I could make it spell out, you know, uh, you know, my name, like, like Warren Robinette did in the, uh, in the Atari adventure card, uh -huh. uh, or, I, or I could put like the last McDonald's on the moon. Out there. <laughs> the, the lunar lander game used to have the last McDonald's on the moon, uh, that you could get to. And you could, you could, I didn't uh, know that. Yeah, that, well, that's something that somebody told me once. I don't know if that's really true or not. But they, 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 You're talking they, about the Atari get, Lunar Lander? Uh, 
I think it was more like uh, the Lunar Lander that was on college mainframes back then. Nah. Like okay. on a PDP-12 that had a video uh, uh, display. And uh, so if you hovered over the, the, uh, the McDonald's on the moon, uh, the flames from your lunar lander would destroy the McDonald's. <laughs> and then you get this message and say, congratulations, you just destroyed the last McDonald's on the moon. So, uh, but if you mash down the fire button and you keep it mashed down, that means you can't fire your laser anymore. Right. Uh, and so uh, that means that, you know, the bat's going to show up. And then what are you going to do then? So you combine that with you keep it mashed down and you duck into a room with a monster and duck out, duck in, duck out, and you'll be perfectly safe. The, the bat won't show up and oh. uh, you'll be able to walk through walls. Now, as soon as you let up on the button, uh, you won't be able to walk through walls again. So if you're outside the walls at that point, well, good, good luck with that. <laughs> you're uh, stuck on the, yeah. And I wonder uh, if you do that, is it possible if you let go of the button, while you're walking through a wall, is it possible to get stuck in a wall? Which is something that could happen with the Atari Adventure card. Uh, huh. They had the bridge. So, you know, they had the bridge that you could put over a wall and you could go through the wall over the bridge. And, but sometimes uh, in, the, in the Adventure card, they had a bat, which looks very much like my bat. Uh, because this, this game really was inspired partly also by Catherine Kurtz and also by the Atari Adventure Cart, which I just love, by the way. Right. So if you were going across the bridge and the bat showed up and stole the bridge away from you, you were stuck in the wall. So that was kind of, that happened rarely, but I, I played that game so much that everything that could happen to you did happen to me pretty much, I think. So you wrote this game unsolicited from Tandy and just hoped they would like right. it, which they did. Yep. When I was first writing it, uh, Dale looked at my code and said, oh, ooh, you need to write this in position-independent code. And here's how you do that. He gave me some pointers. And I said, why do I need to do that? He says, well, in case you sell it to Tandy, uh, they'll put it in a cartridge, and it'll need to be position-independent code then. Uh. And I said, oh, sell it to Tandy. You really think I could? He says, of course you could. Yeah. I'm like, oh. oh. So I, I, I dared not believe that, you know, that I could get away with such a thing, but... Uh, so you wrote this uh, for fun? Yeah, pretty much. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so Dale uh, had... Uh, he had sold them double back by that time. And he says, you could sell this to them too. And gave me the address and who to, to write to at Tandy to say, here, take a look at this. Would you like my game, sir? And wow. so they... So they sent me back a nice letter and said, "Yes, we we'd love to we'd love to do business with you." So, <laughs> so that was pretty awesome. So this was your first game. So really, game? I'm just a. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, it was my first game. Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, How old were you when this happened? Yeah. I was pretty old. I mean, okay, I'm 70 today. So, uh, and that was what was well, 40 like, years 82. ago. So you're in your 30s. Yeah. Right. So I was older. Oh, there we are in the Space Invaders room. Yeah. <laughs> so you were a software, you, you were working with computers at the time? Yeah. Uh, Dale and I worked at the same place in San Rafael, California. Okay. And he and a couple of other people where I worked, uh, a couple of other co-workers, 
had gotten their first computers and they were color computers, candy color computers, and they talked me into getting one too. I actually had my eye on an Atari ST uh, at the time as my first computer, but they talked me into a color computer instead, and the rest is history. What did you like Space about the color? History. What did you like about the color computer? It had color. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and I had friends at work that, that were working with it and were figuring out how to do things on it, and so they could help me uh, while I was figuring things out. So, and they were getting a new assembler, and I love assembler. I was going to say you went straight into assembly. Oh yeah, yeah. I got. Uh, I bought it actually to save money. I bought a 4K uh, color computer, and I typed in my first basic program from a magazine, and got out of memory. And I said <laughs> that sucks. <laughs> so. So uh, my friends had talked me, were talking to me about, oh, they had, they had increased their memory by doing this, this technique of piggybacking memory chips. Right. So you take all the, the memory chips, chips and you piggyback one on top of the other, do a little careful soldering. One address line would be bent up uh, and you put a little wire wrap, wire from there to a trace on the circuit board and you had double the memory. And that was a real cheap way uh, to do it. Uh, so what I did was somebody else had done this. And so they had a set of 4K chips from their 4K color computer. So I piggybacked 4K on top of 4K to get 8K. Not because, <laughs> any, not because any sane person would want 8K. That's just what you had. It, no, it was a proof of concept. Mm. You know, can, can I do this without stuffing up my computer? And the answer was yes. So then... I don't remember. I think I went, you know, 16 plus 16 for 32 or something. I, I really don't remember what I did, but I remember I did, you know, uh, a piggyback of larger chips and got some fairly decent memory. Uh, not super decent, but because nobody had super decent memory back then. Right. Uh, so had you done assembly? You know, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, please. Yeah. Um, yeah, I had done assembly before uh, in college. Uh, and my first job... Well, my first job while I was in actually junior college or community college, as it's called here, uh, was being the system administrator for a PDP-8i uh, computer uh, in the math department's uh, uh, computer room. And so I learned the assembler on that. Okay. And, uh, and that, had like, that was like a, back when they had all the computers looked like the, you know, the ones in the movies, you know, with all the blinking lights and the switches and stuff. Right. So I would... I would toggle in with the switches. I would toggle in assembler programs and try them out. Uh, so, so I loved that. That was a lot of fun. It was like magic. It was like, it was so cool. It's like, I know how to do this thing that people don't know how to do. Uh, much, much later uh, at, a, at a job for when I was working for West Publishing, uh, they had a Unix version of their software that was crashing. And so I had them send me uh, a core dump of the crash and that was written in C. So then I looked at the core dump and where it was when it crashed and what the contents of the registers were. And I had to compare that with a disassembly of, you know, I, I basically did the C compiler and compiled the product only with a switch on that would spit out a bunch of assembler source. So I could compare where it died with the assembler source and where it got loaded into memory and figure out exactly what was happening. Everybody was looking over my shoulder 
and looking at me like I was from Mars. <laughs> it's like, what are you doing? And how are you doing it? Please explain this to me. I mean, they, they just, they had no clue how it worked internally. All they knew was C code, you know? And it's like, you know, they didn't right. know, really think through that the C code gets, uh, you know, compiled into assembler code, which then gets assembled. And, and then that's where you get the program from. Right. So any interesting memories around coding this game or? Well, it was, uh, uh, as I've mentioned before, uh, I couldn't afford disk drives. Disk drives at that time were like $800. Oh, yes. You know, for a disk drive for a floppy disk. Uh, and uh, so I couldn't afford that. And so I used cassette tapes. And it got to the point where it was so large it wouldn't fit on one uh, cassette tape. So there'd be like about 20 minutes worth of source on one tape and then 20 minutes more worth of source on another tape. So I'd load in one, 20 minutes, go get a cup of coffee, you know, chat with some people around the dinner table or whatever, <laughs> come back after 20 minutes and start loading in a second one. There's another 20 minutes. Wow. Well, there's three tapes times 20 minutes. You can do the math. It's quite easy. So, you know, and then you try something and all of a sudden it would crash and everything would be gone you know, including the source and everything. It's like, well, wow. that's why I kept meticulous backups. So it was crazy and it was painful. And everybody said, you're crazy. Buy a disk drive. Like, I, I don't have the money to buy a disk drive. No, you know, you don't understand. It's worth it. Buy it. And it's like, which one of my three kids do I not feed uh. to get the money to do this? <laughs> I'm sorry, you don't understand. You know? <laughs> Did you get one when you got, when you sold Temple of Rum? I sure did. I got all kinds of stuff. I got a, like a big fancy computer desk and, a, you know, I got a CM8 <laughs> monitor and I got all, all the things, you know. Yeah. Didn't you get a used car and stuff in. too or something like that too? I got a new car. A new car. A um, new car. It's the only, only new car I've ever bought in my life and the only new car I ever will buy. Oh, these, this poor guy is playing it in the wrong color set. He's got a blue laser. You, you know, didn't well, get blue, a... You know, you didn't get a personalized plate that said Temple of Rom, did you? <laughs> no. <laughs> you should have. Also, the, I believe there was a story, too. Uh, you, Alice was complaining about you spending all night and day trying to work on this game and stuff here, but you guys had a house that was a bit cold or something, and that was one of the things you bought oh, was yeah. a heater? Yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's like we got a, uh, uh, an income tax refund. And she wanted me to buy a heater for this house because we were renting this house from our church and it didn't have any heat and it was really cold. And so she wanted a, a space heater uh, and I wanted a computer. And she said, no, we're absolutely, we're, we're getting a space heater. I have spoken. So when I got the computer, she was really kind of ticked. Uh, <laughs> and then uh, actually we got, I bought that with the federal income tax return and then with a state income tax return uh i bought a space heater and my marriage was saved uh, <laughs> uh so where was i oh right so oh right so i was spending all this time in the back room programming on a computer She's like you spent all your time in the back room programming on that damn computer well we got like the first royalty check in and it was like uh, in, in multiple tens of thousands of dollars. And wow. She and she said, 
say, why don't you go back in the back room and play with that <laughs> Funny how that works. Why aren't you in? Why aren't you on your computer right now? All right. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. It's the loom that spins gold. <laughs> I remember, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're meeting with the tax lady. It's like, oh, here's, you know, what I made this year at my day job. And then here's some royalty checks from this video game I wrote. Oh, okay. She, she, take, she takes the first one. She's like, whoa. And then she takes the second one. Whoa. Oh, nice checks. Nice. However, uh, that's that's that actually that was kind of a problem. It's a pity we didn't talk to our tax lady right away. I think she could have saved us from this. Um, you know that when you make a lot of money, they tell the IRS, oh, we just, we're, we're giving this guy a bunch of money, mm. a big chunk of, of cash. And the, the IRS is uh, really incredibly interested in that. Uh, so they said, oh, well, you owe taxes on that. It's like, well, there's one little problem. The check hadn't arrived yet. I don't even think they'd cut the check. They just, you know, uh, filled out the report saying we're about to buy, uh, we're about to, s to send a bunch of uh, cash to this guy. Right. So uh, by the time the check arrived, I had late fees on the taxes oh. I owed on that. So I That's had to, terrible. Yeah, it was. It really doesn't seem very fair, does it? So they wanted it right away. But what they told me was, uh, and actually, I think they wanted it quarterly, and it didn't quite line up with the checks. So what you're supposed to do is you're supposed to estimate how much the checks are going to be that you're getting in the future, and pay the taxes on that now. Oh my goodness! Like prepay. Well, Uncle Sugar, what can I say? So that didn't seem very fair, but you know, they're, they're the IRS. What what can you say? Well, they expect you you uh, use one of those magic eight balls. <laughs> right. For your, for your so, taxes. is there anything you wish you would have put in this game that you didn't because of time? Or oh, space? lots. Yeah. Well, I didn't have any. Yeah, I didn't have enough space. Yeah, that was actually uh, one of the question I was going to ask because you had mentioned in Discord something I didn't know before is that you actually had some extra stuff apparently done that you had to pull to get it to fit oh, on right. the cartridge. Side. Well, it wasn't. Yeah, it wasn't anything very interesting. Uh, it basically, uh, I had a little check in the code for if I can't remember how big the cartridge was. I don't know if it was 4k or 8k or 16k, but when the program loaded, if it was larger than it was supposed to, then it would, then would fit. I had it ring a little bell. Uh, so when that bell went off during development, I said, oh, I got to cut some more stuff. And in the end, there's like about four to six bytes that were unused, but the rest was used. So it was really tight fit, but I had to, like I had it a little bit over and I just shaved a little bit off just to get it underneath the limit. And what I shaved was uh, pretty much some, uh, I think some line data uh, and there's a monster that didn't make it. There's oh, like, what was it? you know, uh, well there's toward the lower left of the maze, there's, uh, there's supposed to be like a monster in every large room. And okay. down toward the lower center of the, of the maze, there's two rooms that are close to each other. I think they're on the screen size. right now. Uh, that may be it, yeah. Yeah. The one, well, that's timely. I think yeah. the one above that didn't have a monster, and so it was supposed to. Oh, okay. And in Temple of Rom 2, it does. Yeah, we'll talk more about Temple of Rom 2 in just a minute. Sure. Uh, how yeah. do you, so how do you end this? I didn't finish it. You, so you, you get all the monsters and that ends the game? Or, right. like it, well, and then you start over. It, it, you start over. Yeah. And it gives you a little, uh, it gives you a little light show, you know, to okay. try to, you know, to, you know, in case you, uh, 
you know, have epilepsy, it'll, it'll try to do that. <laughs> right. So, is there a photo? It'll aid you in diagnosing that condition. I'm, mm. I'm, I'm hoping that's, uh, I'm hoping that's a lie. Uh, well, I didn't certainly didn't do it for that reason. Uh, I couldn't really, I didn't have any room for, for uh, anything elaborate at the end. So it just goes, you know, that, that, that sound effect of when it's at the top of the screen during the attract mode. Well, it just goes and it flashes, it toggles the color set. So it just goes flash, 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 flash. Oh, okay. And that's it. And then it redraws the maze, regenerates all the monsters, puts you back at the starting place, just like when you started, and plays a little the little the, the cheery little intro song paul fiscarelli says he was about an hour into the game at this point in the video this is paul fiscarelli's video by the way in case you couldn't tell uh and his his hands were cramping and he was starting to feel the need to go to go to the bathroom and there's no pause i know <laughs> yeah but if you're running it on an emulator you should be able to pause the emulator oh sure was he running it on you know, an emulator? yeah he is in this yeah, one he he is. In the bottom. Huh. you know you know i didn't oh, yeah. think of, i didn't think of a pause key if I had thought of it, I might have tried to put it in originally, but I no. just didn't think of that. You seemed a little surprised that Paul finished the game seven times on this run. <laughs> what a masochist. <laughs> so you now does Temple uh, Rom of 2 have a yeah, pause key? You mentioned Temple of Rom 2. It doesn't, actually. Ah. So yeah, tell us about Temple of Rom 2. Uh, well, uh, uh, William... Well, who's the guy? That's thank you, thank you. The Lost Wizard. Um, I was I was supposed to have a table right next to him at Coco Fest, and uh, then Coco Fest didn't happen. So maybe if it happens, uh, I'll have a I'll have a table right next to him again. Uh, but I, at one Coco Fest, I was right next to him, and it was a lot of fun talking to him. But anyway, he did a disassembly and gave it to me, and so I started going through the, the disassembly and. Uh, finding the few places where his disassembler had gotten confused uh, and was making, uh, it was trying to disassemble some data. Uh, so I cleaned it up quite a bit and put comments in it. He put, well, he put a lot of comments in it first. And then I started looking into it and it's like, well, how could I make this better? You know, now that, you know, we got a, it's a new age. And we got more memory to play with these days. Uh, so, I spiffed it up a bit and found out, well, found out again how I did all of the line data. Uh, and uh, uh, so I made, it, it turns out that the address space for line data was about 45% larger than what I was using. So I said, well, let's just fill it up with more rooms, more monsters. And then I added two new monsters that were a little uh, nastier. Uh, there's a ghost that will uh, be invisible until you're right almost on top of him. And then he'll appear and head right for you. So that's kind of nasty. Mm -hmm. And he's and he's kind of faster than any of the others. Uh, and then there's a skull that is super fast. It'll just crawl right on top of you. So, so there's that. And then uh, just for more fun, uh, I made an online level generator. So you can generate your own levels for Temple of Rom 2. And uh, what it does is it takes a graphic that you make that, that tells where the, the monsters are and where the rooms are and where the walls are. 
and it'll generate level data for you and insert that into source of the game and build the game online oh, and nice. provide you with a game that you can download. And very few people have tried to do that. Uh, a few people tried and it's, it's kind of fussy. So you have to get everything kind of just right. Right. So uh, it looks like a couple of people tried and they couldn't figure it out and they just gave up. And I haven't looked recently in the directory where it keeps all of the, uh, the data for that to see if anybody else has tried it or if anybody else has succeeded. So, so we'll see. So are you still maybe actively after people, maybe I... after people, you know, see this, they'll, they'll give it a shot. I was going to ask you, are you still actively selling this game? Uh, yeah. Uh, Curtis posted the, Curtis posted the link. Go ahead. If you go to, if you go to templeofrom.com, uh, there'll be links for, for buying it. Yeah. And, uh, and there is, I am negotiating with somebody. We may be doing a cartridge. Oh, cool. So we will see if that happens. Oh, Probably great. Will. A cartridge of Temple of Rome too? Yes. Okay. Ooh, an exclusive announcement. Cool. Ooh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, uh, so if you like Temple well, of Rome and you want more, check it out. Check like, Temple of Rome too. Yeah, because Temple yeah. of Rome too is, you said about 45% bigger maze. So there's actually more yeah. to explore, et cetera. So. Oh, yeah. I think you could add a pause feature. <laughs> you know, Pauses I wonder, for quitters. Uh, I wonder if I want to do that before we do a cartridge. That's a that's an interesting question. I'll have to explore that. Uh, it's not really a done deal yet, but we're, you know, we're I, we're de I'm definitely talking seriously with somebody about doing that. So we'll, I'm, I'm hoping that happens. Great. Now, yeah, I, I want, so I, there's one thing I wanted to ask you about because it's a story you told at your uh, at Rainbow Fest actually when you were the keynote speaker back in '87 or '88 or whatever year it was. Mm -hmm. uh, you were talking about developing Temple Rom on cassette as you'd mentioned before here, but you also had a Coco that was starting to overheat and have problems. Oh yes, yes. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, I had a Coco that you know, and that's really a problem when you're doing development from cassette. If it crashes, you're out of luck. You gotta, you know, start. You gotta start from scratch again, loading in those three 20-minute cassettes, and that's a pain in the butt. So, uh, I had a, a color computer that had thermal problems in the power supply. That was a problem back then for some color computers, and so you'd see the video start to kind of fuzz out. It's like no, and then it would crash. So uh, I was trying to figure out where the problem was. So people had told me, well, you just, you know, uh, I already had the cover off. You know, if you're a nerd and you've got a color computer, the cover is like, it's maybe on it or maybe not, but the screws are not in it. So you can, <laughs> you can just whip the cover off. Quick access, and, yeah. Yep. And uh, so I was trying to, to pinpoint which part was failing, but I had a little can of, of Freon and I'd spray it on a apart when it was starting to fuzz out to see if it would stabilize. Well, I didn't really get very far with that. But I did notice that if you did that, basically, it just sort of made the whole power supply into a big ice sculpture. And then it stabilized. So it's like, I don't know which part is going out. But I know I can fix it now. You know? <laughs> it's going to freeze it. Yeah. So I just make the problem go away, right? So uh, uh, one time, I'm writing out one of the cassettes and it's almost at the end. And you can hear the, the tape cassette click, 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 click with every block, still writing the tape out. 
and oh, I see the video starting to fuzz out. It's like, no, if it goes out, this tape is toast. Mm. I would like, you know, and it's almost to the end. So I would like for it to make it. So I whipped off the cover, wrapped my Freon, and sprayed it and heard, I'm out of Freon. It's like, no. So I'm, <laughs> I'm leaning over, I'm blowing right on the power supply with my breath. You know, I'm starting to pass out. Little little light flecks are starting to appear in my field of vision. I'm like almost out. And then I finally hear it click for the last time and the tape motor stopped and the final and the tape was good. So saved. It's like yeah, it's like trying to keep a patient alive in the emergency room. It's like yeah, sitting there right. doing the old CPR thing on it or something, right? So <laughs> Hey Rick, we have a question for you from Paul Fisbrelli. Uh, he says the game sped up at certain points seems to be tied to the num total number of treasures collected. Was this by design? I don't think th there's nothing that depends on that. I, I think the answer to that is that you're seeing patterns where there, there aren't any. Uh, so number of treasures collected. Um, no, there's nothing connected to that, I don't think. Okay. So, that's like certain people are, are like, uh, I know all the places the bat comes from. And it's like, no, the bat doesn't come from anywhere. Uh, the bat is just on a timer uh, that starts ticking. And when it goes all the way, you know, it gets it, it increments in, from zero to zero. Uh, and when it gets to zero again. Ah, that's it there. That's the last treasure. The screen just flashed. Yeah. I just saw that. Okay. Yeah. So the bat's not little... moving around when you don't when you don't see him. Like he's not off in a distance. He doesn't around. exist. Yeah. He doesn't. When exist. you don't see him, he doesn't exist. Okay. So if you've been, if the timer counts up to the point where it triggers the bat, it just generates a random off-screen position for the bat, up, down, left, right. Okay. And then and so creates he... the bat, and then the bat starts heading right for you. So he spawns somewhere around you and then comes at you. Right. Gotcha. However, if you duck through a portal, he still exists. So he's and, and he knows right where you are still. So he's heading right for you the whole time. But you've gone far away. So it takes him quite a while to catch up with you. Oh, interesting. So and then it's the same thing with the, uh, the crystal ball. If the bat is chasing you, so he exists. Uh, I mean, I suppose it'd be possible for you to uh, uh, duck through a portal just as he's created off screen. So you never even saw him, but he's chasing you. But he's taking a long time to get up with you. So when you if you pick up a treasure and you hear blip it instead of blip, uh, that means you're getting double points because it, it does the blip sound twice as mm. well as giving you the points twice. So that's a little uh, signal to you that hey, I'm getting double points right now. And one yeah, thing I so, want to mention too, Nick, Nick, you can talk about this too. Is that uh, I can't remember who did it now. Was it Paul that put up a big list of tips and pointers for playing Temple of Rome in our Discord? Yeah, actually, yeah, I, I pinned that, was... that in the channel, so people want to see that they can go into the game on channel. Channel. And from and, what I remember, uh, Rick, you responding was there was a few things there you didn't even know or think of. Right. Uh, he says that it's better. Well, the one thing I remember that I hadn't thought of at all, but you know, probably is true, uh, is that it's always better to enter a portal from left to right, because there are some situations where if you're going from right to left. Uh, you, there are some portals where heading left uh, 
get you into trouble real real fast. And so mm. I, I had not I had not thought of that. Huh. Uh, I uh, I didn't want to have a portal too close to a monster. And the reason that the, all the portals go dead for a little while when you go through a portal is that I didn't want you to go through the portal and then immediately get zapped back. So you'd be going back, like, da, 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 da. <laughs> you'd be in two places at once, you know, just be going like this. Right. So I didn't want that to happen. So to prevent that from happening, I just made all the portals go dead for a while. Oh, did, oh I thought they were one use only. Charge, right? Oh, oh, I no. thought the portals were only one use, so they, they reactivate after a while. Right. Oh, okay. And originally I had the portals were in pairs. So one portal would go to another portal all the time. And then if you went back, it would go back to the original portal all the time. And I think that Tandy had me take that out. So now you go from a portal to another random portal. That's kind of like the, uh, what was the game with the tank in the maze where you could teleport in that Death game? Trap? Death Trap, yeah. Similar concept to that where you you hit the teleport and you would appear somewhere else randomly in the in the maze. Jeez, you should make Portal for the Coco there, uh, Rick. <laughs> <laughs> and where did Portal 2 end up? Space! <laughs> of course. Now, I, I had a question. Have you, uh, have you ever considered creating maybe custom versions of this game? Maybe like a Ron Delvo edition, the Temple of Ron? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well... He can, he can make his own version. With the level editor, well, but, you can do you that. You can't change you can't, the title. Yeah. yeah, you can't. Yeah, that won't work. <laughs> Unless there's a sufficient bribe involved. Yeah, in we're just put, put in a good word with the author. We'll see what we can make it happen. Uh, <laughs> I know a guy. Temple of Ron. Uh, Garage of Ron. Ron. <laughs> Did you have any other questions for him, Curtis, or anybody else on the panel? Uh, no, he's covered the two questions I had written down at the oh. beginning there so okay. um and boat since right. you just joined us and you've, you've covered temple of ron before and i know you guys had some like you you didn't like the lack of a pause key yourself there but uh did you have any questions for a sensible point of view you know this was one of the few episodes that uh that brent was on on the coco show i, I was i was out of town that week so uh, i i haven't played temple of ron yet but i'm going to after watching this interview i, I love it man <laughs> Okay, That's I thought you had game. played it at the time, just not part of the show. So, okay. No, I, I haven't played this one yet. Talking I... about cha changing the title, uh, there was an incident. Uh, Mikey Turn was on uh, Delphi for download. And uh, Don Hutchison, who was on the staff of, sort of on the staff of, well, the Coco City, uh, he was a, a, a known prankster. And he temporarily, as a joke, uploaded... Uh, a copy of Mikey Turn, where he had changed the copyright message to no rights deserved. And <laughs> unfortunately for him, uh, he forgot and left it up ah. long enough that long enough that, that Mike, uh, whatever his name is, that made Mikey Turn, saw that. And uh, he was rather sore. Uh-huh. Now, Charmer, was that Mike I'd Ward say. or who was that? I can't that remember. That was Mike Ward. That's Ward? right, okay. yeah. And then uh, I had like a, I had a silly program that I uh, did, uh, uploaded that was written in assembler that was called Color Robics. And it was like this girl in a leotard doing jumping jacks with, you know, four part music and, you know, like a blues tune in the background and stuff. And uh, Don Hutchison's, of course, 
uh, disassembled it. We, we called him the mad disassembler. And he altered it to uh, remove the leotard. And then he uploaded that. And I thought, oh, darn, come on. <laughs> How old are you? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it's a neat game. Uh, and one thing I'm noticing here, which I never noticed before, you mentioned it and you fixed it in Temple of Rom too, but there was that yeah. one, one pixel shortage on the bottom where the lines did not go all the way down. Yeah. And you See said you had, you had noticed that and you fixed that. So in the original yeah. version, the lines do not go all the way to the edge of the screen. They're off by a pixel yeah. on, the, on the bottom line. See that right now. Yeah, and yeah. it's one of those and things nobody ever noticed. Nobody noticed it until you mentioned it, and then you fixed they it. In it was an artistic too. choice, you know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. makes it look kind of three D ish, you know. You no, the, the other nice little thing in here that's kind of hidden that if people know about the history, of the relationship between you and Dale Lear, um, you know, mm -hmm. from doing Double Back, is that the spider graphic is, I think, Dale's spider graphic yes. from Double Back. The exact it is, it is stolen. <laughs> now, With his permission. Now, uh, another, yeah, that bat does look like the uh, Atari Adventure bat when you when you look at it like that. Isn't um, there a bat in one of Dale's games? Um, I don't know if there was a bat in, 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 double, in bat? double Back. I don't remember. Oh, none, none of Double Back is not. So, oh, okay. I don't know where this project is right now, but a year or so ago, a guy named, uh, was it John Daly, oh. had started a, a game that was called Return to Rom, where he's doing this like in a 3D game engine, where he was going to basically take yeah. the map of Temple of Rom and make it where you could go through it like a first person, like a Doom style game. And so he had yeah. done a lot of work in that in that way to kind of create some of the maps and, and stuff. And he did some interesting creative choices where he created different elevations for the walls depending on how far apart they were. So the thin walls were shorter and the wide walls were taller. So he also created right. some kind of height to the world, things mm. like that. And then he also had done a video where he was kind of talking about and analyzing some of the stuff that I didn't even realize either. But he talks about like when you walk into a room, you don't necessarily see the monster until you're almost on top of it. So it created what he called the jump scares where you walk, oh, you know, a spider, oh, you know. So you kind yeah. of walk in and you see it when you're, when you're almost like on top of it. And was some of that stuff intentional too? Or is that just a happy little accident as Bob Ross would say? Or Well, the, the, the jump scare part, uh, that actually wasn't intentional, although it certainly is a jump scare. It's like, yeah, if you're as you as the thing is scrolling, you know, you're like almost to the edge of the screen. So you could, you know, you don't know that you might be heading right into the jaws of a monster. Right. right. Uh, so all, it's like all of a sudden, like, oh, you know, uh, and so that is true, but it wasn't intentional. It, it was just that was a style of scrolling that I wanted to uh. have happen. Uh, because it's almost like you're drag. Screen. It almost feels like you're dragging the screen behind you as you move, like you're, right. you know, um, I could have made it. I mean, you could have made it so that your, 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 your little guy is always in the center of the screen. Right. But then there'll then be too much scrolled. of a reveal. Right. Right. Uh, but I didn't want it to, to work that way. I don't know what game or where I saw this, uh, type of scrolling, but I wanted to emulate it, uh, yeah. because I didn't like. Uh, the Atari Adventure Card, they, uh, you'd get all the way to the edge of the screen, and then blip, you'd be on, you know, you'd go from the right end of the screen, and then it would like redraw uh, to a completely different room, and you'd be on the left hand of the screen. Yeah, like a whole screen, yeah. like flipping a page in a book, it's a whole new thing, yeah. Right, and I thought that was kind of cheap, it's like, I think we can do better than that. So, you know, so originally when I was coming up with the game, really the maze was just a big open cross that went off screen in all directions, up, down, left, right. 
And uh, so that was sort of a proof of concept where I worked on the scrolling. And I got that working the way that I liked. And then I started expanding the maze and adding monsters and stuff like that. Now, are you are you kind of uh, shifting the entire screen or are you just redrawing it every frame? I'm redrawing it. Okay. Uh, it's only, you'll notice that the walls are only vertical and only horizontal walls. Yep. There is a highly optimized routine for drawing horizontal walls, a highly optimized screen uh, a routine for, for drawing vertical walls. Uh, and the, the line data for the maze uh, is in two tables, one for the vertical lines and one for the horizontal lines. So it's pretty, it's pretty easy to optimize that. Now, I have a question for you, too, uh, mainly about the relationship between you and Dale. Like, I know you guys tested each other's games as they were being played. In fact, you had several people at work that we've, we've talked about before, too, that were kind of involved in the testing. But how much did you two collaborate? Like, how much effect did Dale have on the actual coding and stuff? And how much did you affect him maybe with suggestions on his game on the design and the programming as opposed to just the testing? And There was a lot of that. Uh, we would share source between us freely. Uh, there was, you know, Dale and I did all, you know, we, we were the coders and then we had, uh, you know, two or three other people at work that would do testing. Yeah. And, uh, uh, we would show source to them less frequently, but we did do that from time to time. Uh, but it's mostly just, uh, Dale and I, uh, swapping back and forth. Uh, like when I did, uh, uh, the, uh, what, what did I call it? It was like, it was like the VI for, for OS nine, uh, which was from. Uh, TS Edit or whatever it was? Yeah, TS Edit. Uh, it was distributed as a patch to TS Edit. Well, that, that implies that, you know, that I disassembled TS Edit and uh, figured out how to patch in uh, uh, the changes to, to uh, add some more features, the, the other features that were missing from it that had to be added before I could use it without going mad. Uh, but that's not true. What happened was Dale just gave me the source for TS Edit. And I put in my changes and I assembled <laughs> it. And then I ran it through uh, a utility that would come up with a patch file for it. Yeah, Ma so, Mac patch or whatever it was called. Yeah. So ostensibly, I hacked TS Edit to add these new features, but that's not what happened. I just went in the front door, basically. Uh, he gave me the source with, you know, with his blessings and, and I made changes to it. And so that kept us out of trouble with Tandy. Neat, neat. And, and uh, for those who are watching us live right now, you're watching us on the I'm a Coconut channel, but on my other channel, my original gamer, Stevie Stroh channel, we've got a lot of interviews, and one of them was Rick Adams, which was the first uh, interview we ever did before there was a Coco Talk. And then the second one, I think, was uh, with Dale Lear, that you helped us co-interview. Um, and so we have those interviews, those, those original stories, if you ever want to catch up on those um Check them out on the OG Stevie Stroh channel. It's youtube.com slash OG Stevie Stroh. And uh, look under the interviews playlist and you'll see them in there. Um, so some and good I stories. And I came up with some details that uh, Dale had forgotten. Right, and so vice versa. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like the, the original name for uh, Double Back was uh, Superfly versus the Notorious Chomping Thing. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I have a little, just a f little funny anecdote about uh, this game and Rick is... Uh, on a YouTube channel that I have somewhere that I, I had captured some cocoa footage and one of them was Temple of Rom 
and I hadn't looked at the video in years and years, and I look at it, and at the time I looked, I'm like, oh, Rick, it said Rick Adams is here, and the comment was from like eight years prior. And since then, I had met Rick. I said, oh, this is funny, Rick. I didn't notice you commented on one of my old, old videos. <laughs> I think Aaron at, at the Amigos there, I think he'd mentioned that Rick had commented on their their Coco Show episode on Temple of Rome as well. Oh, this was just me just messing around. It wasn't anything fancy. It was just Temple yeah. of Rome being played. And like Rick Adams well, was here. I, I think I even had the artifact colors wrong, I think. You did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> A lot of people get that wrong. Well, the good news is it's kind of doesn't matter. They're walls, you know. It's like, is it a red wall or is it a blue works, wall? Does yeah. It doesn't matter. Is it a the the blue flames do look a bit odd. Yeah. Well, first well, it's natural gas. Yeah. Well, it depends. Mind you, maybe maybe it's blue flames in space. You know, your blue flames right, in space. Right? It's, it's space, so anything goes. Right, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Other than that, that's the only thing I. Yeah. And the blue rings. All right. So, uh, are we ready to? Uh to move along we had 18 participants a lot of good scores paul fiscarelli coming in with yeah. an insanely high score good job yeah. Paulie. Thanks, i, I Paulie. was going to participate again this week but this this week i legitimately was too busy with work which is a nice surprise for me it's the first time that's happened in a year and that was, you know i didn't you mind mean, missing out this time you didn't have three minutes while you were microwaving a pizza <laughs> nope i was wow, busy every day really this week busy then i'm glad to busy. hear you're busy then yeah, no, it's it's good. It's, it's a pleasant pleasant change. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Rick, for talking with us and being connected with the community. It's really wonderful to uh, be able to meet you guys and talk to you guys and and uh, you interact with us and everything. It's fantastic. And uh, thank you, Polly and uh, Paul Fiscarelli and Canadian Retro Things for your videos. And are we ready to hear about next week's game? Ooh, no, yes. but let's do it anyway. Yeah, ready or not, here I come. I am so excited. Now, this game was not on Curtis's site, so I don't know if he know, I'll know it or not, but he probably will. Oh, Jungle Queen. Jungle no. Queen. Jungle Queen. Queen. As I've mentioned many times before, my site's only about half the games on there, if that. So I've got lots of catching up. I so have this, played this. Yeah, actually, I, saw, I found your video. This, guy, this actually came off your video. Trying uh, to catch those vines is a pain in the rear. It is. So for those who don't know, this is a clone of Jungle King. Yes. And there are two levels. There's the vines level and the underwater level. The names have been changed to protect the guilty. Yeah, very, very <laughs> uh, subtle change from king to queen. So uh, this is a so there'll be um, this is a game if you're running it off if you're running your your uh, your uh, version off the SDC you'll have to do the run I believe you have to do the run at one to get it to work. Oh, because like um, some disk ROM issues. I believe so. At least that's what I ended up doing to get it to work. So, okay. Uh, if you have any technical issues, just uh, shoot me a private message or whatever. Um, so that's our game for the week. And uh, thanks again, everybody, for participating this week. And to Rick and and uh, and CRT and Paul. And thank you, Stevie, for the video and for letting me do this. And we will see you guys next week. All right. Excellent, excellent, excellent. Well, we are we our next segment is a, is another uh, chapter in assembly with George, but we're probably going to take a, a break, just a, a brief commercial break to get into that, and then we're going to talk about uh, some of the feedback we got last week, and we're going to a whole new thing to talk about and um, and uh, moving forward. Um, I should also throw out something that um, I an idea I came up with today, only because of my 
personal life schedules and challenges and stress levels. Um, I am going to move the show back an hour starting next week. So we're going to start the show at 1 p.m. Florida time starting next week, and um, which will hopefully let us start sooner and possibly end sooner. And if we need to run longer, it's not going to be going too far past dinner or something like that. And um, I'm doing this for me. So if you like that, great. If you don't like it, you can hate me. But uh, my personal life and stress and other things and commitments are just making it very hard for me to to be here for as long as we are. And um, no, no matter what, there's never going to be a um, it's never going to be a good time for everybody. So you can't please everyone. But the focus of the show is we want to try to make the show as good as it can be. Uh, as fun as it can be, as informative as it can be, and there's always going to be something about it that's not going to appeal to someone, and we're never going to be able to change that, and we can't. Uh, we're not going to try to, you know, uh, design by committee to do that. So um, we'll start an hour sooner, and for those who it doesn't work for, you can you you'll you'll catch it an hour in, and you can catch the replay later, and so on and so forth. And right now, that might be the summer schedule, it might be the forever schedule, just to be determined. Um, so yeah, Florida time, that is a real thing, Dave. And for the most part, Florida time is all Eastern time, but actually if you're in the panhandle and you're just off in the kind of Louisiana, Texas cusp, you're actually in central time. So there is a piece of Florida that is actually not in Eastern time. Very small piece. If you look, it's like an upside down boot. So if you're in the toe of Florida, you're no, you're no longer in, in uh, Eastern time. I don't know, Stevie. When I went to the Florida Welcome Center, uh, there was a Florida time <laughs> clock, and there were no hands on it yeah. because they second hand. <laughs> so yes, yes. No, no, oh, wait a second! No, I just, uh, no. I actually just hit the um, the intro by mistake there for a second. So we're gonna run a commercial break, and we'll be back with a, with assembly language with everyone's new favorite segment, assembly language. We need to pick a commercial break here. I am trying to see what we want to do, what we're going to do. Oh, you know what? I'm going to do this one for you. Um, Nick Marota has mentioned in the past that he does like this really bad impression that I do. So we're going to do this one for you, Nick Marota, Nick Marota, Nick Marota. And we'll be back after these words. We'll return after these messages. My fellow Americans, Australians, Canadians, Europeans, and all of you ands, I'm calling on all y'all to help us make the world great again by visiting the Retro Swag Shop at 8bit256.com where you can get yourself a coffee mug like this with a little cute cartoon character that says, I'm a cocoa nut. You could also get yourself a coffee mug like this with a color computer 3 that says, I'm a cocoa nut. You could get yourself a, a deluxe travel mug like this with the Coco Talk logo on it. You might even be able to get yourself a DVD like this with over two hours of gameplay goodness. It is time for us to rise up and make the world great again by enjoying some quality retro merchandise and Coco nostalgia. So please visit 8bit256.com and let's make the world great for the color computer. Thank you very much. Good morning, Coco Lamb. This is Brian Schubring with Music Man. Here at the Coco Fest, having fun, fixing issues, and making things roll, and making lots of sound. Have a great day, guys. Baby, there's something I need to talk to you about. Remember when we first met? Everything was so easy, and it felt like nothing could stop us. But now, everything is such 
a struggle. And <laughs> if I'm being honest, you're really starting to show your age. Can I get the check, please? Break up with 512K. Use two megabytes now with Nitros 9 Ease of Use Edition. Download EOU today at lcurtisboyle.com. Some people have big plans after school. You know what Elliot's going to do? Jeff, too. Elliot's at work on a book report using Scripsit on Radio Shack's Color Computer 3. It hooks up to his TV. And Jeff's at his Radio Shack Color Computer 3 playing the newest football game. But wait, what's Elliot doing playing new Super Pitfall? And Jeff's having a blast with a new math tutor. You never know what you might try with more than 100 programs for fun and learning. Radio Shack's Color Computer 3 comes with everything you see here. Other items each sold separately, only at Radio Shack. And now, Coco Thoughts by Samuel Gimes. I remember the days of grade school when on the playground we would talk about the latest computer and console games. Until one day when a kid told the teacher he was having a blast with his new math tutor. After he got out of the hospital, he changed schools. Greetings, YouTubers. Atari Leaf here, and you're listening to Coco Talk. Oh, and we are back. And if you haven't been having a blast with your new math tutor, then you're doing something wrong because everyone should have a blast with their new math tutor. Oh, we are here and we are back with, uh, we're going to turn this over to George J in just uh, a minute here. I, d I just want to start off by doing this kind of a quick reminder slash public service announcement. Number one, George, thank you for volunteering to do this for, for us because this has been a long time coming. I know a lot of people want to learn a Sumbi language and we have to start somewhere somehow. And we did start last week. Uh, two weeks before that you were on and we kind of we kind of let people know this is going to happen and here's what you need to know you know check out the steve bjork assembly series which goes over all the mnemonics and then check out the long branch never series to um you know to get your environment set up so we kind of did preface it but uh, i think some people tuned in for the first time and were expecting you know a, a paint by numbers step by step by step and it wasn't exactly that and that's okay um but um there were we we do have a channel so if you have some feedback make sure you throw that feedback in the discord channel this is going to be live and interactive and it's going to be available not only on the show but all day long all week long and uh, we have not only george who knows a lot about assembly but there's a lot of people on discord who do know assembly um, who will be able to help answer questions. But the particular channel we have that's called Assembly with George J is going to be specific to this series. Um, things that we talk about on the show and where we can share source codes and, and demos and things like that. So with that in mind, thank you for what you have done for us already. I look forward to what we're going to continue to do and take it away, George J. Okay, I'm unmuted. Yeah, yeah thank you. It was a very interesting segment to uh, listen to talk about the old days of a program on a color computer. I can remember back in the early 80s when I bought my first color computer and trying to figure out what to do with it. I ended up getting a program called Dynamite, okay, which would disassemble anything in, uh, for 68 or 9. I remember, the, well, in fact, the guy that uh, wrote that and sold it was right down the street from me. So I think I disassembled, I don't know how many ROMs and 
color computer stuff to, to figure out exactly what was going on. But that previous uh, interview was very, very interesting. Hey, can I can I put you on pause for one second, George? Because I forgot to say hi to, uh, to somebody who just joined us. But Paul T. Barton is here. Hey, Paul T. Just want to say hi to you real quick because you weren't on earlier. Yeah, I'm back after six months. Welcome back. We are glad to see you. Glad you're in good health and good yes. spirits. I'm glad you're like my ironing board. <laughs> uh, so welcome back. There's a lot back. of irony in that ironing board. Yeah. Oh, the irony in the... Right. Welcome back, Paul T. Sorry, George. Yeah. Well, that's all right. One Thank other you. quick note. I remember back uh, actually working on uh, a Unix box and having a color computer at home. And I really got used to using VI for the editor on the Unix box. And I couldn't find anything to match it. So, <clears throat> excuse me. So, uh, in a symbol, I wrote a VI for a color computer, uh, all the parts I liked in VI. I didn't put every everything they did, but I, I wrote that thing in a similar language and it was huge. It would hardly fit in memory, let alone editing, getting, ed editing anything with it. So it was, <laughs> it was a challenge, especially a copy statement of copying you know, like 3,000 lines and trying to have enough on, room on a stack to hold it and try to get it written back out. It was, it was, it was a challenge. All right, I'm gonna share share a screen here there we go that's what i put up on discord too is kind of what we're going to talk about today again we're non-graphic modes we're not doing p mode ones and twos and threes we're going to do tech stuff for most of this series that way as you do your work you can display it on the screen and see how things are going along okay as opposed to having a, a graphical or a sprite and figure out where it's at we're going to do text and figure out what these different instructions do and what you can do uh, today we're going to look at a program. It's a very short program, maybe 10, 12 lines. Uh, could, could be longer than that. And working with some tables, okay, gives us a few more instructions we can look at. And I got three examples of the same same program, okay? And so, hey, there's no uh, one way of doing anything. Uh, we're going to look at every line as we go through the program. What is an include file? Uh, what is register A and register B? Why does it equal D? Uh, some other statements in there. Uh, again, I'm going to stress, go to Color Computer Archive. Get some manuals download that you can download, especially the Basic Unravel series. we got Color Basic Unraveled. means it's disassembled, and you can look at everything that's in it. Uh, extended Color Basic, Disc Basic, basic and Color Computer 3, basically. You know, get in there and look and see what's going on. There was a series that I looked at in, back in 1984. I don't remember. I think it was later in the year, around September, October. It was called uh, Cooking with Cocoa by Colin Stearman. It was taken and modifying the uh, actual basic code, writing it out and then reading it back into memory. Uh, he wrote a, a piece called Flex Key, where you could actually go in and edit current lines and keep them. It, it was just a, it was a fun project. Uh, just go out there and look at it. You don't have to code it again. Go out and look. He explained it real well in the Rainbow Magazine. That is also in Color Computer Archive. Yeah, that was a whole yeah. series he did in Rainbow. It was actually a monthly series for quite a while. He was doing all kinds of things. And it was a really it good was, I think it was about five or six months long, okay? You know, and I remember each doing each one of them. And in fact, I the code I've written here in the past uh, nine months during COVID, uh, one of the pieces I copied out of that was his flex key routine. And I 
well, heavily modified. And I use the, the his code as a uh, basis for it. And then down at the bottom, the last thing we're do, we're going to do some color computer three only things. Because uh, if you got a color computer and you're going to be writing text to the high-res text screen, you need to know how that palette works and the attribute command. And it's kind of long and boring, but it's necessary if we're going to use anything in the color computer and high-res text screen. So with that, let me first bring up, find out where we're at here. We're going to bring up, okay, our first example program. I'm going to go through this program. That's, that's it right there on the screen. That's the whole program. All the maybe 10, 15 instructions. We're going to go through it line by line. We're not going to detail it at this point. We're just going to, I'm just going to give a quick overview. And then we're going to go back and look at every line and talk about every line and what does it mean and what does it do. All right. Uh, at, at the top, other, other assemblers, uh, I'm using uh, LW uh, tools and it's, he doesn't recognize some of these commands. He recognizes them, but he doesn't know what them. Like the name of the program, options, that's no gen and other, other assemblers out there use a command and don't print out any generated code. Then we come down here to this other line, kind of silly, says no cocoa equated zero. All it does is it tells the assembler that I have uh, used that word, no cocoa, it's, it's, no, it knows it's going to, I'm going to do something with it sometime. It just tells you somewhere where it's equating. We want to tag we, what we'll use later. Is that kind of like declaring a variable? Yes. Okay. Well, it's just also, it's yes, it's this. I've, I've reserved that name for something later on. It's kind of like a dim statement kind okay. of. Okay. I could have put equated 5,000. It doesn't, make a doesn't matter. Just, you're just, you're setting aside. Yes. Okay. Next statement now is include statement. Okay. If you're a C programmer, you always have your .h file, which has all the different things that you uh, use frequently or within the application you're working on. And that's just standard uh, talk there, you know, just the dot dot is back up one level, dot dot is back up another level, and then come forward, I have a directory out there called includes, and in there I have a file called coco.include. We'll look at that later, okay, just to wonder, explain the lines. Then we got some comment lines, and then we got an arg statement. Okay, and like I said, I scroll over it. Arg is just set the assembly address. Remember, I'm using uh, Visual Studio Code, so it will tell you what they are. I I've just used uh, hex 1100, 1100. Okay, it could be pretty much anywhere. It could be at a thousand. It could be at five thousand. Okay, you have to watch some some spots in memory where your basic program some may lie, but you're pretty safe at the 1,000 area. All right, we'll come down to a, a start line. Just just a, a, a label. And for people that are experienced assembly language programmers or people or basic programmers don't care, it's a good time now to go to sleep, okay? Or go go uh, get yourself a coffee or something. All right, our next one here is Load D, okay. D is a register. Okay, we're going to talk about some registers later on. We'll just advance that. And it's got a, a hashtag or pound sign, whichever you prefer to call it. Older people like me still call it a pound sign. And that's the thing is a no lines, and that stands for number of lines. It's a tag I just, just come up with. We'll, we'll look at what that is later. And I got a comment. I got stuff right now. Comments. I wrote myself a note here. Remarks or comments. You cannot put too many comments in your program. You cannot put too many remarks in your program. 
uh, experience tells me if you write this code and when you get into the heart of writing something, when you're there at two o'clock in the morning and you figure out how to do something, you wrote a new subroutine and you've changed it and you've modified it and it works, then you go to bed. If you don't document it, <laughs> it becomes magic the next day. Uh, <laughs> next morning, but really, really, six months from now, you want to fix it a year from now. And I've got code in one one example I was just looking at earlier. Uh, back in the mid '80s, I wrote under OS nine. I wrote a program called Pack. It was like it was like uh, WinZip, but it was Pack for OS nine. All written in C, and I don't know. There's probably over a thousand lines of code. I don't know. I know there's five separate C programs and a .h file. I looked at it, and I bet it, I don't think there's ten comments in the whole program. I can't tell you what any of it does. It's just, it's amazing. It's just written in C that would take. But back then, everybody kept saying, C is kind of a self-documenting code. Bull. (laughs) (laughs) uh... And you look at the crap, I I mean, the stuff I put in there, I don't know what it does. But anyway, I'll I'll show you that someday. Right. Your your mentality is when you're writing it, man, this this code should be so self-explanatory. I'll never I'm always going to remember what I did here. But the reality is, like I say, even overnight. What the hell did I do yesterday? Um, Two two o'clock in the morning or three o'clock and you finally figure a subroutine out. You just code it. It works perfect. You can't over document. You can never over. In fact, I had so many. I had a lot of programmers work for me. And that was one of the things every review I did. It had to be do- almost every line needed to be documented so you know exactly what was going on because somebody's got to modify, change that code years from now, and you need to know what's going on. What, in my limited experience of programming on the Cocoa, and I have never done assembly where you have comments like this, I, basic allows you to put in a remark statement. But when I was working on my few of my recent projects, I was also told that those things will slow down the interpreter. And so I didn't put a lot of remarks in the source code. But what I was doing, because I was doing all my editing on a PC, I created a text file that was longhand that explained what my variables were, what they meant, and uh, you know what you know. This routine starts on this line number, and this is what this does. So I kind of wrote my own kind of outline to my what my code segments and my variable names for myself because again, I would sometimes spend six months or even a year in between sessions and completely forget what I did. So I had you know I created this second document to go along with the source code so I could go back very quickly and pick up where I left off. So so I. I, I did something similar to that, um, but this actually seems like a really good way to do it when you can have the comments in the actual source. And so the um, the semicolon is the kind of the rem statement like we have in basic where we use an apostrophe as a remark. Yeah, or uh, you can use a, a quote, you know. Okay. Also, or if you start online, you can use it. Uh, an asterisk in front there's a whole like your example one that almost looks like a banner or a header that's a string of asterisks and so the uh asterisk in the first column says it's a comment okay so so then the so um so visually i like how this editor has these things columnized and colorized too so the kind of the syntax highlighting is really nice in the editor here you can tell label apart from an instruction apart from a comment just by color yeah and this this and you can do the same thing with uh uh, Notepad plus plus it works it works good too. I just happen to this is one I happen to use so mm-hmm. it's, but they all they all understand the the uh, asterisks and commas and that. Right, we'll go over what this line reads. Really Here it says uh, first line and number of lines to the print table. Okay, that sounds kind of hieroglyphics, but we'll explain it. And I put it. This is actually what's going to load in that register hex 
0.0006. Okay, well, we're going to look at that here shortly. Next instruction is push D. Okay, push is putting something on a, on a stack. And everybody says, what, you know, what the hell are you talking about? Pushing something on a stack. I don't, it's, that's is totally Greek to anybody that's never done this before. And I have an example. I'll pull the pull screen up. Okay, we've loaded something into register D, and we're gonna push it on a stack and save it. But here it says save on stack A and B. Confusing. We'll try to confuse that. Next, we have a label called loop one. So we're gonna do a loop here. Load Y. Okay, Y is another register. We're gonna load the address of the of the table that we're talking about here. Okay, and again, the pound sign, if you look at your back, you need to get some manuals or look at the Steve Jork, uh, his series on what the, these things mean. That's an immediate means immediate means the address is actually in the instruction. Next thing we're going to do is, is uh, load a comments off the stack. Remember, we pushed something on the stack. Now we're getting something off of the stack. Again, we're going to detail this. Then we're going to do a logical shift left of the A register. Again, sounds like Greek, doesn't it? What that does is times two. And if you know, you look at your uh, binary, okay, if you have a one in there, it'd be 0001. If you shift it one to the left, that binary goes over one, it's times two. Okay, very easy way to quickly multiply something like two. And if you shift it again, you're multiplied by four. Next instruction is one of the most confusing you're going to run across. Load the inflective address in the X register. And that there will read all about it. Yeah. Say that again. Load the who? What? <laughs> load the effective address. Oh, load effective address. LEA. Load effective address into the X register. Okay. Okay. I'm and tracking. Use it because that's normally you're loading the address. Okay. But we're putting it inside this, these brackets here. Okay, which makes it more confusing. We're just going to make it in, indirectly. Okay, and we're going to get what we're going to load in there. Uh, off the Y register, we're going to add the A register to the Y register indirectly and put it in X. Well, we're going to see this in detail, so you just have to wait until we get there. Okay. We're going to look at something in a table, okay? Okay. And then we're going to back we're going to back up that X register by one. Okay, last week we talked about basic to print a line. They always wanted to have one one byte in front of what we're going to print on account of that. So the first thing they do is bump it again. So we're that's that's basically subtracting one from that register. Then we're going to go over to basic. We're going to do a jump subroutine. Okay, which is just like a go to or go sub in base to what our print line. And when it comes back, we're going to jump in or put a carriage return on the screen or go to the next line. And then we're going to increment what that stack again, there's that stack and we're going to bump it to the next line number. Okay. Uh, then we're going to decrement the S register plus one for number of lines. I know this is confusing, but we're going to straighten it out. Okay. And then if that did it, when we deck, keep decrementing until it gets to zero if it's not equal to zero we're going to go to loop one so it's first time through it's not loop so it goes to loop one it comes through keeps going through until we get to zero okay and then just for your input way back up here at the top we put six in there there's six lines okay and when we're done when it falls through at zero we're going to pull clean the stack up because we got to clean the stack up and then we're going to return back to basic who's the caller very 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 confusing 
Okay, very confusing. Now let's back up here again. Okay, let's look at our in, includes. Let me find the includes here. Okay, this all the includes are. Okay, and then remember we equated a thing at the at the front that no cocoa. Right. Here's where we're, we're going to use it. Okay, inside the inside this include file we have an if defined okay we defined it over here it says if if that's defined if it, execute this next statement now if you look at lw tools inside their write-up inside your manual it tells you what that, what that really means so it says if it's defined no list do not list this out on the listing all right and and then we end it up uh, i'm gonna show you how long this thing is okay you don't want this in every listing because it doesn't change and you probably knows where most of it goes. So you option it to not list it out. If you leave that out, it will list in every listing, but it, you know, I don't want this in every, every possible listing. Things that you use all the time. What's a no, what's, what's a break, what's a backspace, a no op, carriage return, escape, et cetera, et cetera. Where does the basic program begin in memory? Okay. It begins at, Right here's the address. Where's the end of it? And if you look in memory, you'll see where these things are. I told you get the unravel series. You get the unravel series, the basic unraveled. Look at some of these things here, and you're going to see actually in that code that you get what these different things mean. There's all kinds of stuff that's really nice to use. Okay, uh, where's the random number beginning? Where's the beginning of the buffer? Once we do that get, we do that get line. It's located down here at 2DD. So that's all these things are is just equates that we can use later, which I'd have to remember all these darn numbers. We'll go back to our program here. Yeah, these are constants, basically. They're basically, you're defining that word as this value, and then you just you can use the word instead of having to remember the number every time. Right, you don't, because you're probably not going to remember uh, dollar sign Baker 99 Charlie. You'll, you'll remember put, put line much easier. And they, you basically defined all these as your own kind of syntax then? Yes, sir. You set up variables to point to certain memory locations. Make them whatever. A lot of it is, a lot of it is, I guess, is uh, plagiarized from people over the years that have, you know, articles and rainbow, et cetera. Uh -huh. See, if you look at the code in that Unravel series, this is some of the same things they actually call them in the, in the actual code that's been uh, uh, disassembled. Okay. We're going to get down here later in, in, the, in this series, okay? A lot of it is, is my, my additions, okay? Uh, like patch version and different versions of my code that I when I when I load up, uh, I have a routine that often memory somewhere called put line and carriage return at the same time one instruction. My prompt, if you notice, well later on I don't use okay. Mine is uh, ready, and then I have this temporary save areas. Okay, if I got ten bytes there, I can save stuff any place I want, and then I have a note it's for this program routine only. Don't it to always be there just use it for temporary worker now i've got all sorts of things in here okay i've got all these routines are off in, in memory okay and they all have to have some type of a how do i get to them they all have a name okay and you'll notice everyone here's all the string commands here's the uh, mathematical ones here's the colors okay in my setup for the for the uh, attribute and then the palettes. Okay, I, this is what I use them, how they equate out, so I can use them. Oh, foreground and background? B for background, F for foreground? 
background black, background blue, and down here is the blink one, the underlying one, the front, the foreground black, etc. I just got a real quick question, George. Is that background noise? Is that coming from you? I want to make sure there's nobody else in the call that I need uh, to ask yes. to mute. Okay, no, that's fine. It is what it is. If there's anybody else doing that, I would just ask them to mute themselves. No, I, hold on. I will mention that the syntax for doing some of this is very similar in the OS9 assembly for those who want to get into OS9 assembly. Uh, and they usually will use the word use instead of include to include these. Okay, my, my grandson scenarios. just showed up and he was in there talking to grandma. No, no problem. And one thing I wanted to point out too, uh, earlier, Stevie, you said, oh, these are like variables, but they're not, they're constants. They never change. A variable can change. Well, a, a constant is it's okay, but but because because it's because it's got a label. Like when I would say something like uh, SS for screen start equals ten twenty four, that's a variable, and if it never changed, it's still a variable. In this case here, it's a label for a value or a constant. Yeah, but no, if it if it never changes, it's called a constant. It's called a constant. It, it's like a variable, but it never changes. Yeah. Okay. So it's, it's constantly that value. It's always. Okay, so it's a constant, changing. but it's it's okay. I I hear you, and I'm not trying to argue with you. I'm trying to rationalize in my head. Um, it's, not take, it's not taking up a byte in memory. It's only for the compiler. Okay, it's not a byte. Okay, in so this is almost like a lookup table for the compiler itself. Yeah, it's a label substitute. So anytime um, you reference underscore b underscore black, it's always going to put a zero there, no matter right. what. Right. So so you use like it to give you an example, if I was doing this in um, uh, basic. I could either say a trib, whatever, uh, comma ten for that color. Or I could say a trib, whatever, comma b black, and so it's that's creating a, a substitute for the number, yeah. a, a, a user friendly name to substitute for a number. Right. So well, without actually having to assign a variable, like so, like like John says, it's not taking memory. It's like okay, it's not like okay. you have to be black equals zero. Now it's taking a byte out of memory to store that zero in. This is just for the assembler itself to go. Oh, you want. Okay, and so that would have been my next. And I know, I know, this is kind of taking it a layer deeper than just stepping through some of the stuff in the code. But you're explaining part of your code by doing this. So one of my thoughts was, is this eating up a lot of memory in the source code? But it's really not. This is kind of a lookup table for the compiler to to sub to replace to replace the plain English with the actual number. Yeah. Right. Okay. Well, that's the difference between assembly and machine language. Assembly is the easier, more human readable version that compiles into the numbers that okay. are the real program. All right. And you can see there's like 150 lines in here, and you could document them, but you don't want that printing on every every time you run a program, have that printed out. Okay. And and you end up remembering a lot of them just in your head, but they're they're in there where they're always the same. They take up no memory. It's only for the compiler to interpret. Okay. Yeah. So that is. I want to ma mention one other quick thing here. Um, depending which assembler you're using, like you're using LWASM, which has you know it's it's on a modern operating system, so it has pretty big you know limits to what you can call these these names. If you're using like the old Atasm cartridge, I think the limit's six characters or labels or for constants like this. I think in the OS9, the ASM assembler, I think it's eight, and RMA assembler, I think actually is a little bit bigger. I can't remember off the top of my head, but just you know, know, depending on which assembler you're using, you might not be able to make these names any bigger than say six or eight characters. Yeah, you don't have, and you can come up with your own names, whatever you whatever you're comfortable with. Like I say, a lot of these here were actually in the code, and if you look in, in the uh, unraveled and that. Now, would you have you already, or would you share these in the Discord channel too, for somebody who wanted to use your uh, include they're, table? 
I put a zip file out there this morning. That's okay. I got and I took uh, what's what is uh, only for my system only. Uh -huh. Okay, like these uh, down here, all these uh, like some of your some of your buffer stuff and everything. Memory pages. Okay, when I swap memory in and out. Okay, that's sitting out there. Okay, I've got all these memory pages that I use. I yeah, and that's based that on those utilities you you wrote with the pop up windows and yeah. So and so, I pulled all that stuff out. Well, uh, well, I, I have the. Here's the one I put in the zip file right here. Okay. Okay. So this is pretty much all just uh, good stuff that anybody anybody would probably. Okay. Use. This is all general purpose stuff that would be applicable to anybody. Yes. Yeah. I put it in the zip file after. No, thank you for doing that. Okay. So that's what an including file does. Okay. That's. So we got all these names we can use without remembering all the stuff. Again, ARG, okay, that's just saying we want to set the, the assemblers. Let's start right here at 1100 hex. All right, load D and push D. All right, let's grab another goodie here. Okay, here's our stack pointer, okay? We're going to talk about that. A, B, D, and stack pointer. Uh, when you uh, load M, or assembly language program, you tell it to load M, and then you say execute. Okay, and we're gonna say execute ampersand H1000, or 1100 in this case here. That is, and then the basic is gonna do a jump subroutine to your program, right? And he's gonna put the, he, he, he being basic has to know how to get back. He's gonna go one instruction, and when it comes back, he wants to go to the very next instruction. So what happens is, it puts the address on what is called the stack, okay? And that would be right in here. There'd be a, a return address, or I put return address to somewhere. The next instruction gets put on stack. Stack is just memory. It starts out some high number and works its way down. It always goes down. When you're pushing, when you're pulling, it's, it goes back up. So the return address from basic is in these here two bytes. And I just grabbed any number. And I've used the hex number 7F33 and 7F32, actual uh, hex memory addresses. When it comes in the program, first thing we did was loaded D with a number with hex that was 0006, if you know from the program, and we pushed it on the stack. Okay, it, it put that on the stack. A and B is, is the same as D, okay? There's a uh, the, there, there really is no D register. It's A and B. Okay, it's again confusing, but it just works that way. You could use D, and it will use it. No, I don't want to get in, in all that detail. When we push it on the stack, it's going to go in a two the next two lower bytes. Okay, seven F three one and F seven F three zero. So A is pointing there, or A is in there, and B is in that one. Okay. And our stack pointer after we did the push is that 7F30, which is a stack pointer now is right there. Come into basic, pointer was here, we pushed it, we put two things down there, and moved the stack pointer. Okay, if anybody is confused, just keep ask questions, okay? Because that this stuff is, you, you, you have to know this stuff if you're gonna write in a symbol language. Right, we loaded D with something and we pushed it there okay now what is the something that was remember one of these one of these 
numbers here. Number number of lines, okay? Where do we get that at? Let's go down here. Uh, I passed that up, okay? What we're going to do down here, we're going to print these six lines on the screen. Line one, two, three, four, five, and six. So this is what we're going to print on the screen when we get done with this. Line one, two, three, four, five, six, okay? This is a test line. This line is longer than above. Three asterisks, Cocoa Talk Live rocks. Some other stuff and Merry Christmas happy. That's what we're gonna put on the screen. So what we did here is we made a, a table now, okay? A table with pointers to them lines. Okay, table containing address of print lines. There's our, our note. FDB, that's okay, let's see what that is, okay. It's a double byte, okay. FDB, it's a double byte the address of line one okay line one is here so it's going to put the address of that line in there the next one right behind it line two will have the address in that okay it might help if we did look at the actual code okay here's that same fdb of line one okay it says it's at one six zero zero we come down here look at line one it's one six zero zero so let's put the address right there. So now we'll be able to address it without knowing where these lines, because these lines are variable length. So we can't say they're each 10 bytes long and jump down every 10 bytes, but we, these are fixed here. So each one of these here is the address of the line. Is that understandable? I guess it was, nobody answered so. Yeah, um, I, I'm looking at it this way. It's it's kind of able to be cross-referenced visually, but I, I know this is so abstract right now that I, I don't know that there's going to be a perfect way to explain it. So maybe uh, just keep going and we'll see how it goes. Um, what are we looking at here in this one here? Is this what, like when you ran the compiler, is this kind of like what the output of that compiler would be yeah. as it's building the program? This is the, this is the output that has the actual addresses in it. Right, okay. And this, yeah. so that first column of numbers there is the address that is currently being assembled to. So like the, the print table, print TBL, those data bytes, those FTBs are stored at 1500, 1502, 1504, 1506. The two bytes or the two uh, the numbers right after that is the actual numbers or the actual bytes that are being stored at that address so at 1500 we've got 1600 stored there 1502 we have 16 oe stored there so we basically got a contiguous table of these six entries pointing to where each line starts so the first line starts at 1600 if you go down to the first line where it says test line zero one you can see the 1600 at the far left, yeah. which is actually saying that's where it's stored. And that's and the hex address in memory where this actually lives, where the source yes. code lives once the program's compiled. Yes. Yeah. Right. And then 16OE is where the uh, line second two line is. And so, yeah. and, and so, again, what we're looking at here is that the line one becomes what you guys are calling a constant, I, what I would call a variable. But that constant of line one, which is more human friendly is actually pointing to a location in memory 1600 hex that then has the data for test line number zero one yes yeah so um, am i correct in assuming if i want to follow along an edtasm um these fcns would be fccs for the to put in a bunch of constant characters because i don't think fcn works well, and, and again, it all depends upon which compiler you use. If you use the LW, it, it takes FCNs. 
If you right. don't, you're going to have to use FCCs. Here's an example down here, the very last one. I uh, got the FCC, oh. right? You're going to have to put it in there, but then you're going to have to finish it with a hex zero zero, right? Because that's what anytime you a, a string needs to end with a hex zero zero. I mean, it doesn't have to, you know, that's the way if you're going to use basic to print line with basic prints a line, he goes right down the line and he looks for a hex zero zero. When he finds hex zero zero, he knows he's done printing. FCN, that stands for a no byte there on the end. And it will actually, right here, is that hex zero zero at the end of the string. Ah, okay. That, if your assembler doesn't use FCN, you'll have to actually add one at the end. And here I've, I added two things. This FCB, I added a carriage return and that hex zero zero. Carriage return and oh, So the, the basic will know, know where it's at the end. Okay, back to our instruction that was load up or was what number of lines okay we still haven't figured out number of lines yet okay we've got now we know here's the FCB of all these or FDBs all the lines and the next thing here is another here's our number of lines equate at asterisk minus print table divided by two okay <laughs> But it's, when you look at it, it's kind of, it's not, not near that bad, okay? Asterisk is a pointer. Where is the assembler at right now? Right now, the, the assembler is at 150C. Okay, that's where he, he's right there. That's because that's, we put these here. He's right there, minus print table, which is 1500. Okay, so 150C minus 1500 is 0C or decimal 12. Okay, divided by two, that's six. six. Okay, so that's what- divide by two is because the pointers to where the lines are, the FTP is a double byte, it's a 16-bit address. So if you were doing like single byte offsets, you would do print table just by itself type thing. The divide by two is because it's two bytes per entry to point to where the lines start. But two bytes, four, six, 12. That's all we're doing is getting letting the assembler not take too many space. All that it's doing is coming up with how many entries are in that table? I could just as easily, I know how many is in there. I could have easily just made a variable said six. But if I come in and change the program six months from now and I take out two lines and then I come back and I add 45 lines, right. I got to go and change everything other than that. I just put them in there and the assembler will automatically fix it for you. Okay. That makes it, uh, this makes it more dynamic. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So we go back up there and we put our load D with number of lines, which was 0006. Okay, we put it on and we pushed it on the stack. Next thing we're so going you're to pushing do is, the you're pushing the actual number six onto the stack. Yes, 006. Okay, and the zero uh -huh. zero is okay. Well, I'm using we're using two registers here. Yeah. Second, we're using A and B. Okay. When, when we get to it one is counting up and one is counting down now there's there's a lot more ways of doing this code and we're going to do that later on but we just want to get through this one here next thing we're going to load y y is the register we're going to load something in there okay we're going to load the address of the print table our print table was right here we're going to actually load 
the address of it. We're going to load 1500 into that register. But now we're pointing to that. You're pointing to where the, the supplemental text and memory is. Right. Yeah. We're loading the, the, the table, the address of the table. So we're going to load A comma S. All right. Again, let's look at our S stack was pointing. After we pushed it, our stack is pointing here. And we're going to load whatever's right there. The stack is pointing right there. We're going to load what's ever there. Remember, we put 0006. Yep. Number of lines to print. So we're going to load 00. Okay. Load S. Current line. Current line number is 0. Okay. Because remember, everything starts as a base 0. It's not, you know, it's not anything else. It's base 0. So our first entry is a 0 entry. Then we're going to logical shift left times 2. 0 times 2 is zero. So we haven't bumped it. We're still sitting there pointing at the very first entry of that table. Now here's the tricky one again. No defective address of whatever's in A comma Y. Y has the address of the print table, not the print lines, just the print table. That was at 1500. Yes. Okay. And we'll six, six, six double bytes pointing to the lines. Yeah. And we're going to offset it by whatever's in the A register. Well, A register right now still has zero. The next time through it, it have more. So it's really going to take whatever's in Y register and load it up. Okay, and Y is pointing to the table. So it's going to load the, load the very first what's in that table, which is 1600. Okay, no. now X, I'm sorry, X now has 1600. Where were we at? I'm in the wrong one. Sorry. X now has, has a, uh, 1600. We're going to back it up by one point because that's what basic needs. So we're going to do LAX. So now it should have, once we do that, it should have 15FF. You know, 1600 hex minus one is 15FF. Go over to basic and he's going to print that line on the screen. Comes back, we're going to go back to basic and print a carriage return. So he's going to go down to the next line and get back to the zero position. And then we're going to increment comma S. Okay, so right now it's got zero, zero. We're going to increment it by one. So now our line count, our line number we're pointing to is number one. Oh, wrong example again. Okay. Now we're going to deck remember, one, what's ever an S minus one. Okay. Put me screens around. So S is pointing here, minus one is pointing here now. Okay. So we're going to decrement. So we had six in there to start with. We're going to decrement. Now it's going to go to five. And that's actually plus one, just to clarify. Say it again. It says actually plus one, not minus one. Correct. One of them we decremented, one of them we incremented, and one of them we're decrementing. Okay. Yeah. One's going up and one's going down. All right. We decremented one from six down to five branch. It's not equal to zero, so we're going to go back up to the loop again. 
So the one you're incrementing is to go to print the text of line one and then increment to print text line two and increment to print text line three. But you're also decrementing to see when you've run out of options. Yeah. So you're, yes. incre you're incrementing forward through the table and then you're also counting down to make sure you've done your six operations. Yes. And believe me, there's more than one way to skin a cat. And we'll see later how we can simplify this and, or not simplify right. but change it. There's different ways to do this. Okay. So we come back up here. We're going to put that address and print table in there. Now we're going to load A comma S. Okay. And right now that has a one in it. Okay. Then we're going to shift it left times two. So now it has two in it. That goes to line two. Right. So load that whatever's in Y plus that A, which is two. We'll take this down to the second entry that plus one plus two and here's the next entry it's a pointer to the second line all right we're going to follow through there and do the same thing increment make that a three the five we're going to make a four and go through and print, and print the next we're going to keep going through that loop until we get once we decrement it and it come become zero we're going to Stop. We're going to go right there. We're going to pull that off the stack. So okay. does branch not equal, is that the equivalent of saying not equal to zero? Yes, not equal to zero. Okay. So when we get it done, it's, it's zero. This is zero. Pull it off the stack. We're going to take them basically, all it's going to do is move the pointer from here to here. We're going to clean it. You know, the stuff is still there in memory, but we're moving the pointer back to here. Our next instruction is return sub, and the return sub is going to take us back to where basic call is. Seem reasonable? It's a lot, but I'd, I'd like to see it. I'd like to see what the actual running program looks like too. I know we're at the end of the day, we're going to see six right. lines of text printed on the screen. Um, but it, and when and we'll we'll look at some of these here, and we'll actually bring it up, and we'll we'll uh, bring. And we'll get, bring up the debugger and step through it and watch it watch it change the, the stack as the stack changes. And I just threw this one in here to show you the difference. What's uh, size versus speed? Okay, I just go ahead. And this is so small, there's not a lot of difference. If I did another one, it didn't equate things. Right, right here, minus start. So this program is hex 1f long. That's all it is. Very, very 31 short. bytes. Right, very, very short. Uh, we go on to the next way of doing it, or we can actually watch it run. Now let's watch it run because this is right now. This is information overload as it is. So um, I, 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 I am barely tracking you. So I'm sure a lot of people with no, no skills are going to already be a little bit lost. So I think a little visualization is probably going to be useful at this time. Yeah, it's a lot to take in. Yeah, and I, and, I don't know and, how to get it easier. It's and problem. I am, uh, you know, I'm just barely remembering some of the stuff from. I, I need to go back and rewatch the Steve Bueller series on this stuff. Uh, I'm trying to come up with some cheat sheets. I threw together my own little cheat sheet last night that I threw in the Assembly with George channel on just what the hex, because I know people are not used to thinking or expressing themselves in hex. Uh, yeah, it's a foreign concept to basic programmers. Exactly, and that's one thing you need to you know get somebody the manuals, rewatch some of the videos, and 
look and unravel and just learn because if you're going to do assembly language program you, you got to know hex that's almost uh, step number one. right right so i i threw together a little thing to show me in basic what all the coco characters are in both decimal and hex so because i'm used to like you know 65 is a 66 is b 32 is space you know there's certain ones that i have from memory the decimal values of some of the standard ASCII, but I have none of the hex memorized. So I created my own little visual cheat sheet that I threw up there. It's not pretty, but it's it's got everything out there. I'm a visual um, learner myself, so. Well, that's cool because I wouldn't know that 65 is an A. Yeah, yeah, because I'm a de I'm a decimal thinker. I'm not a hex thinker. So yeah. <laughs> well, after uh, 50 some years of hex, I've pretty much yeah, yeah. wiped out ASCII. Yeah. <laughs> All right, we loaded it in, and we're going to execute that 1100 hex. We're going to do that. And we're going to see the six lines of text just boom. They're, they're up there. Now, because you use the basic routine to print, it doesn't matter if we're in a VDG screen or a high-res text screen. This is just using a basic ROM call to print on whatever screen we happen to be on. If right. this was on our 32-column VDG screen, we would have to be writing to specific memory locations if we were doing it oh. one way, or the basic routine would do that too, right? So. I'm gonna. I got a. Here's. I got a, a basic that should uh, run this thing if I spelled it correct. Run table one. Okay. okay. All right. This is going to tell you all the different. You know, the 32, 40, 80 character screens, and all. There's three different examples in here. We can run them all. Okay. Well, let's do a 32 character screen. Example number one, which was one we was working with, let's yeah. do that. Okay, there it is. And that executes the, uh, the that one address, the 1100 address, or yes, whatever so it was. He, right? he, does a, he does a print line and basic says, well, I know what kind of screen I'm in. I'm going to print where, starting wherever I'm at. Okay, if he's at a high-res text screen, farther here he's at, he's going to just print. Basic takes care of that for you. Right. Is I, there any speed trade-off performance-wise to letting the basic ROM call do it versus writing directly to the... Yes, it's so it's so mis minuscule uh, in just printing the line that it's not worth. You're you're, you're almost you're almost making it more difficult on yourself. Yeah, to keep track of exactly where you are, where the cursor's at, and yeah, what, yeah. Uh, I let uh, basic do a lot of things for in that re respect. You know, I mean, if you're writing now, if you're writing, remember, if you're writing a, a high res graphics game. You can't use anything in basic, Scott, pretty much. You gotta you're on your own. Right. Yeah, they're they're really slow. <laughs> yeah. But remember a human I think only reads like two hundred a fast one reads only reads like two hundred words a minute. So you your basic uh, you won't be able to keep up with basic, so you're you're okay. This thing's waiting on the any, any key. All right. Now we can say let's try the same same thing on a forty character screen. Example number one. And they're basic that took care of it. There it is on mm, the pretty care. damn quick, too. All right, then we'll uh, just try it on a 80 character screen. And there you go. Okay, it's just it's uh, coming out the same way no matter which kind of screen you're on. Being you yeah, put one. okay. Now, if you'd like to view the uh, what we got, we can let's see, let's uh. Set a breakpoint here. I'll set it at, level, at the beginning of the program. Breakpoint is I want to stop there. That's all the breakpoint is. It's a break in the program. We're going to run it and it's going to take a break when it 
Yeah, it's equivalent of hitting the break key in basic, except of course machine language running so fast the chance of you hitting it at the exact right microsecond would be impossible. So um just just so you know, George, you may or may not want to close out Outlook. We're seeing an occasional pop up when you get an email and, and this is out in the live world, so you might just wanna not let the whole world see what your notifications are. <laughs> Say it again. Your your Outlook, every time you get a new email in Outlook, it's popping up on your screen and we're all seeing that. So you might just want to close Outlook just Oh. For, for privacy reasons, nobody needs to see what oh. kind of email you're getting. So that's okay. Yeah. A lot of that's stuff all. about Corvettes, probably, right? So. <laughs> no, it's off on a different screen. I have to hope completely flip. You know? Oh yeah, okay. No, no worries. Just forget. Yeah. Let let you know as a courtesy. Okay. All right. So I'm going to execute that uh, 1100 again. Okay. There. Got it. Uh, Your breakpoint stopped right away. Right. Right there. And there we can see the load D is the uh, hex six, which is the number of lines that you're going to be doing. And I remember our instruction was push D. Okay. Well, this thing interprets it as push B and A. It's the same exact thing. There, the, the instruction, if you actually look at the instruction, the push instruction, mm -hmm. it doesn't make any difference what you put in there. You can put, it's always going to come out. I can put push B A and it's still going to come out push or A B. It still comes out because each one of them bits is is embedded in the in the uh, processor and in the assembler. So there we loaded our D. Okay. I don't know if you can all see this, but down here is our A, B, and D. They're the same. They're all zeros now. Right. Okay. And if I uh, step one instruction, it just loaded that 006 in there. So D Okay, has so zero. B has become 6, which has got pushed to the D register, which is now the same thing because A... In B here, we can see the A is double zero, the B is 06, so there's your double zero 06. Exactly. That's on the D. And the analogy that Steve Bjork gave when he was talking about the stack, he goes, imagine you're at one of those buffets and the plates are stacked up and they're spring-loaded. As soon as you take one plate, the next plate kind of rises up. I think that's a good analogy to think about how you're pulling things off a of stack. That worked for me anyways, and I, I like food too, so that helped. Yep, I uh, so. <laughs> and here's, here's our stack pointer, 7F34. Let's go up here and we'll put that... I'm gonna put a seven F. Uh, I'm gonna put uh, three zero in there, okay? And I probably should have done that before we, uh, before we, we, well, we hadn't done the push yet, okay? So the stack pointer is at three four. Zero one two three. Four. All right, eighty three oh two is the address to go back to basic. Basic called us, and if we want, when we're going back, that's where he wants us to go back in in uh, to get there. Now we'll do the our. Uh, push instruction. Okay, I'm going to watch it change up there, but we pushed it. And there's our 006. And it changed the stack pointer, decremented it by two. And there it is, shows up right there, 006. Our next instruction is going to be load A, whatever the stack pointer is pointing to, which is 012, which is 00. So we do that instruction. Doesn't really make any difference because we haven't changed anything, so it just it looks the same. We we loaded our A. We're going to shift it and and again. It's, it's zero, so it doesn't do doesn't do anything. So. Zero times anything is zero. Right now, here's our load. The okay. equivalent of A. Yep. The next time through it, it looks it looks better because there is actually something there. All right, let's bring up another one here, and we'll put the other address there. We're getting ready to load this. Whatever's in Y. Well, right now, Y has 1,500 in it. So let's put 1,500 and see what's there. Oop, that's okay. It should handle it. 
That's all of them. Uh, remember them table entries we had? Mm-hmm. Types of piece. 16, 1600 E, 1620. It all pointed to our, our actual lines. One thing about having a debugger, you can put all kinds of stuff in here. Okay, let's look at 1600. Right, there's our test. line 01, yeah. There's our stuff. Okay, so right now, our Y register is pointing to 1500. The very first thing in there is 1600, which is pointing to our very first line. Okay, so you see how these tables work? One points to something that points to something. That's why it's called indirect. It's, it's a pointer to a pointer. Yes. Now we'll uh, do our next instruction here. And that loaded up something in the X register. If it's for me, take a message. No, it just said the spam. <laughs> it said on my phone. Said, my phone said spam risk. Spam risk. One of the that was just probably one of our viewers wanting to ask you a question about the assembly <laughs> stuff. <but. laughs> All right, so we just did uh, that load that X with the indirectly. So X now has 1600 in it. Okay, indirectly it went from one to the next, and now it's pointing to 1600, the very first line, which says test line number one. And X says 1600, we'll do the next instruction. It's gonna take one away from it, which now it's hex 15FF. Right, we're going to, not go, we're not gonna to go to basic because there'll probably be a thousand instruction he does when he goes away. We're just gonna skip over go there and come back immediately. So he printed that line. Gonna go back to basic and have him put the carriage return. Right now here, we're gonna increment our stack stuff. Where's our stack book, remember? 0006. Okay, we're going to increment what's it? Stack pointer at 32 by 1. Okay, so now our line number is going to 1. Now we'll deck, well, well, it's not equal to 0, so we'll. Okay, now we're back at the top again. Loading Y, load A, comma S. Now, here's what's nice. Okay, A now has one in it because that's our, our line counter. Now we're going to sh shift it, multiply it by two. Now it has a two in it. And we're going to load whatever Y has in it. And Y should still have our pointer to this table plus A or two more, which should get us our 160E. So if we hit it again. Okay, X now has 160E, which is pointing to 160E is right out here. It's 54. Okay, it starts out TH. This line is longer than the above one, or something like that. I put okay, it in yeah. And then it, you know, we'll step through them. Skip over going to basic. We'll increment our S decrement the one and we look at them again one zero two they're always going to total six okay regardless and there's a better way of doing this or a quicker way but anyway so now we got two and a four it's not equal go back and do the next one so hey you know, it's right now our uh what we got a has two we're going to shift it and now it's got a four multiplied it by two
So we just keep, I just keep stepping through here. Unless you want to hear it. I mean, it's the same thing over and over. We'll get down to where it's. Okay, it's down to one. Next time through, there's our deck comma S, and we see it. It's now it is zero. Okay. So this time here, it's just going to fall through to the next instruction. Okay, our stack pointers at, is at 7F32. We're going to hit that instruction. Branch not equal. Now pull them off the stack. Our stack went back to 7F34, which is our 8302 up here, which is the basic routine. And we're going to return sub. We're going to return the sub. And we're going to go back to basic. I hope that was understand. I know this stuff's confusing, but this is assembly language, and that's kind of simple, you know, stuff. Maybe it didn't. I don't know. I thought it was. But then after 50 years, I mean, some things are just different. Questions? Or we look at a, another way of doing things? Too confusing? It is a lot to process. I mean, there's there's simpler algorithmic ways to do, like not using indirect and a bunch of things that would make it simple oh, yeah. to understand. But the program's also longer, so you know. I mean, the, how you want to teach it. The next example is is similar. We don't we only push one thing on the stack. We don't do two. We're just going to do one. We're just going to count and look at a different one. The third one, we're not going to do the, anything indirect. Okay. We'll look, we'll look at the third one. Okay, it doesn't use that indirect stuff. Okay. However, we did we changed the table though. Okay, I'll show you how we changed the table. Okay. This number of lines, we had six. Well, that's just a holder there. What I did, I've added another entry to the table. One down here, this is another entry, okay? Just zeros. Okay, so we're gonna go through the table, not counting lines and pointers line. We're going through the table, we're gonna be looking for zero. Just another way to skin this cat. Put our address of the table we're going to save this on the stack as opposed to our 006. We're going to go load Y, whatever is on the stack. Then load X. To see what we're doing is to, we're looking for the zero, okay? And where is the zero? Show, scroll down and show me where the zero is in the uh, table. Right here. See. I, this here, just just ignore this line because it means nothing. Remember, it means nothing to it. All it is is a marker for the compiler. It has nothing to do with anything in memory. So we got 1600, 1600E on down, down, and then zero. I can show you over here. Maybe it'd help. Here we go. Here's our table 16, 1600E, 16, 2D, 16, 3D. 1666 and 0000. It's the seventh entry in the table. Yeah. Okay. We're not worried about which line we're on. We're just looking for a zero. So that's kind of like an end of file indicator in your yeah. in your uh, stuff. Yep. yep. So we're putting the address on there on the stack. We're lo loading it off of off the stack. And we're going to load X with whatever's on. We just loaded the pointer. And then if it is equal to zero, okay, 
point to the correct line. If zero, we're done. So as we load X, we're done. We get out of there. Okay. So the first time through, it's it's not zero. Second, third, fourth, fifth, the sixth time through, or I'm sorry, seventh time through, it is zero, and we're going to get out of there. So we're doing the same exact thing. If it's not, we're going to bump to the next entry in the table. All right, we'll screw Scroll down a little bit more there where those 1500s and 1502s are and stuff. Um, 150C. So I'm not understanding how these numbers are getting put in there, though, the 1600, 1608, and then how that zero is getting put in there. Is that all freehanded that's put in there? Like the. Because this this is the compiler version of it. What's the source code version of this look like? If you were if we were typing this in the editor. Alrighty. This is example three we're looking at. Here's yep. our line six. Here's example three. Okay, we're just loading up the address of the table. Yep. And we're pushing that address of the table under the stack this time. We're not doing all the ups and downs with counters and stuff. Right. So in this case, we're not incrementing and decrementing. We're just going to keep doing this until we see our end of file or end of nope. text, end of table indicator. Well, not exactly, because we're going to right here, we're going to bump the table by two. Okay, so that's that's like our increment. Yes. Okay. And we're going to load up, we're going to get up that the very first pointer, and then we're going to, off of that pointer, we're going to load one of them table entries into the register. And at some point in time, it's going to become, you know, what the entry is going to be zero, zero. Okay, so scroll down and show me the table where I can see where the zero, zero is in the table itself. It's right, it's right here, like I say. Let me, let me do this. Let me, let me get rid of that. How's that? Here's our table. Okay, One. that's, that's the zero there. Right there. Okay, so because, okay, print table. So the, your table is defined right there. And what does FDB stand for again? Double byte. Double byte. Okay. Okay. So what I say it stands for. So, so it really is it really is. It is a table of pointers, basically. Okay. So so okay. So your 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 table is basically seven lines. And the first six are pointing to test line. This line is longer, triple asterisk, so on and so forth. Yep. Um, and then the last line in the table is the zeros. So instead of it going to the indirect of the line six, you're basically saying, if I see a zero, then I'm done looking for more lines. Correct. That's the branch not equal. Yeah. Well, it's, well in this case, it's the branch equal. A branch it, equals. If, excuse me. If it is equal to zero, we're done. Get out of here. Okay. If it's anything else, then keep going. But. What's the address in there? So, so branch equal is looking for a specific match. Branch branch not equal is looking for zero. Well, either way, I mean, if it's zero, it's your branch you can branch equal or branch not equal. But in the pre, in example one, you're using branch not equal when we we're decrementing. Right. Yes. So in that case, there was branch not equal, just looking for a zero. It was if branch is not equal to zero in this particular case we're doing it different we're going to branch if it is equal to zero because we've set our table up to have zeros in the table before we was decrementing a counter when it got to zero we was done right yeah i understood that part i'm just trying to understand the the, the basic purpose of branch not equal though branch not equal is it no matter how you use it is it always looking for a zero 
Yes. Okay. Yeah, yes. Unless you have a compare or something before it gets. Yeah, it's, not, have... it's not equal to zero. Okay. Or like I say, if you compare A to B, branches are not equal. Or so, you... be so before when he said branch not equal, he was jumping back to print again. And now when he's saying branch equal, he's jumping down to done. So he's reversed the... Right, 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 right. But I'm just trying to understand the purpose of branch not equal and, and not even in a specific sense, but in a global sense. And, and that branch not equal in this case here is always going to be zero unless otherwise specified. It's always comparing to zero. Branch not equal to zero or branch equal to zero. Okay. All right. Well, let's just keep going because I, I don't want... I don't know if I'm... I'm I'm trying to clarify for myself, but I'm not sure if I'm confusing it for anybody else. Yeah, and I think you need to go back to Steve's uh, presentations. Okay? Yeah. And I think he went a little bit more detailed about the, these flags. Okay. Yeah, I think you go back and watch his, his videos. You might be able to see what it is. Okay. Or in the manuals, they uh, explain uh, the different flags. Because some of the instructions that you run set the spe set those special flags, and then branch if equal or branch if not equal reads those flags. So if, you do, so if you do a compare instruction, for example, it'll set the it'll set certain flags depending on if the comparison is true or not. And then branch if not equal and branch equal reads those flags. So. Okay. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure if I'm helping anybody else either. So that's fine. I don't want to muddy the waters. Yeah, you just you probably need to look at what you know, so the uh, what it explains the actual instructions and what bits they set on in that condition flag bits. Okay, the zero flags. There's a whole bunch of flags in there, like eight of them rather, and you can read, read how how they get set and what happens when they get set. Okay. Anyway, this was just another another way of doing it. I hope maybe I didn't muddy up the water, but it was just another way of doing the same. Same thing. Yeah, no, that way actually seems a little bit simpler because you're 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 making you're doing less comparatives in your routine. Yeah, and it all depends upon the nature of exactly what you're doing. Sometimes it, it may or may not be, but you, there is more more than one way of doing things. That's all I was trying to show here. Uh, the other thing was, I guess, well, we've talked about it before, was the FCNs. If if uh, the compiler you're using doesn't have FCNs, you're going to have to put a a, a zero at the end. On this one here, I put a carriage return, which is a hex zero D and a zero zero. So in theory, on the last one, we don't need to go to basic to do the put carriage return. We're telling it to put it on there. And if you, when we did actually did our printouts uh, before, notice the last one has an extra line space in there. Yeah. Cause that we put one on there and then we also went to basic. He said, jump, put another carriage return on there. Any questions about this? I mean, there, there was another way of doing it here, but I think I'd it'd muddy up the water a more. Yeah, it's a little too much to process for somebody who's just starting. Really. Yeah. yeah Try to do all that. Trying, you know, trying not to muddy up the water, but I'm trying to think of simple things to do. And you're going to, if you're going to do anything, probably in assembly language at some point in time, you're going to have to learn to work with tables. I mean, because everything can't be just print line, you know, get a character, print a character. You're going to have to do some table work. And with really, yeah, okay. Uh, so so I'm just going to share with you my plan for this week that did not work out because of time. But what I was hoping would probably happen with this is that, you know, 
each week you're going to present us with a new concept or a new process or something. We'll, you know, and we'll talk about it. We'll look at it. We'll look at the code. We'll look at it on the screen, et cetera. And then throughout the week, what I'm hoping is myself and other people would say, okay, now I really want to try to do this on my own. What I was hoping to do this week that I didn't get done was I, I wanted to take your example of the hello world, but I wanted to do my own from scratch and just beat my head against the wall and do something in assembly to write hello world on the screen. Because honestly, it's kind of like what you're saying. You, you Reading a book and watching a video, listening to an audio, it's not the same as, as, as typing it in. So for me, the way I like to do is I like to learn by example and comparisons and analogies and stuff like that. So what I was going to do, I was going to say, okay, here's how I would do it in basic. I would here, Here's how I would clear the screen in basic. I would basically poke the whole screen with a four next loop clear the screen and then I would poke on the data from the word hello world onto the screen at the certain location of where it is okay so I'd write this program in basic and do it in basic here's how it is now I need to go into assembly and I'm gonna write a routine in assembly to do the same thing how do I clear the screen in assembly on the VDG screen I'm not using the ROM calls but just writing to that location in memory uh, let's do a VDG clear screen um, now let's do a VDG, basically the equivalent of poking the word hello world onto the screen. So I would love to, and I'm going to try to do that, and I'll, I'll try it this weekend. But, um, you know, so what I'm hoping is you're going to show us, hey, here's, here's like last week, here's five different ways to put the word hello world on the screen. You gave us a lot of examples. Now it's up to us to go in and take one of those or create our own to do it and start doing it and learn by doing. So that's what I want to start doing. And that's what I'm hoping other people will start doing too, is that you, you're going to show us, you're going to give us a, an example of like you give us example of a table. Now we got to figure out how, how we're going to make this. For me, I'm all about, I got to do a demo. I got to do a proof of concept. I got to do something to make this work. And you've already done it by printing out five lines of text, but now I want to take it. I want to do my own, right? So I'm hoping that as I get more time and more acclimated to this, I'm going to start creating my own little demos with what you give us and run with that. And I'm hoping more people will do that too. And I would love to see this at some point in time almost become like the Game On Challenge where we have people submitting either screenshots or code examples of, hey, here's, here's what I did this week. You know, I did my version of, you know, Steve did his Hello World. Here's my Hello World. And we can kind of start making this kind of a community uh, interactive thing where people who are into this can start getting into it and building some momentum and stuff. So I'm hoping that's going to happen because that's the only way I'm listening to you and I'm kind of, I'm, I'm following you a little bit, but I'm getting confused in the process. And I realized I got to do my homework and re familiarize myself with the language. Um, but even if I understood the language, this is not something that's going to make perfect sense for people who have not done this before. So I'm, I'm hoping that I'm going to be coming up with my own little Steve examples of stuff and everybody will come up with their own examples on this stuff too and start doing it and then once we start doing it that's when i think the qualified questions will come in right now i'm asking a lot of abstract questions because i'm just trying to follow your code in my brain and that's not always easy to do so um i and i appreciate what you're doing i just know that it's it, this is never going to be a perfect thing to do for anybody who doesn't know this and so the people who really want to learn it need to get involved and i plan on getting a little bit involved and as i do I'll hopefully ask you quality questions versus just random stupid ones. <laughs> oh, and no, please feel free to ask the questions in the Discord too, because I mean a lot yeah. of us can try to help with ex explanation. Some people can just explain things differently that you know somebody might go, oh now I get it type thing, whereas you know some other people would go, you know, everything George said is fine, and I understand exactly what he means type thing. One one thing I would suggest, George, um, <clears throat> because this, there's a fairly number of complicated concepts here, like getting into indirects and all that kind of stuff. Is that maybe rather than doing three samples of doing you know three different ways of doing the same thing, maybe just concentrating on one per episode, just okay. so it's a lot easier to sink in, 
right. you're not getting distracted like like steve was saying well how come you're doing a branch of equal in this version but you're doing a branch not equal to do the same thing in this version and that maybe is just over complicating it a bit for a, a single episode sure no problem yeah and uh i take any suggestions of what you you know would like to do i mean it's uh actually so many things you can do and i mean you can do everything similar you, you can think of it i can if you go back to week week one i mean all that code i put in a zip file all the basic programs and all the samples of doing all that stuff and go back and start there and and like uh, steve said change that code do different things place it different places on the screen see how it works uh we did not put together a clear the whole screen from uh hex 400 to hex 5ff write yourself a routine that does a loop through there yeah that's one of the things i want to do i want to challenge myself to figure that out without beating anybody nope. else up unless i get stuck <laughs> well, a good, good example is clear the screen but also come back and change this the space and put a x in there and put all x's on the yeah screen. yeah yeah clear it with uh i was going to do it all based on either hex or ascii value of whatever i cleared it with yeah, yeah. and you know one of the things i was also i would love to do some of the stuff that john lowry has done where he put text on the screen and started to dissolve that text into something else i'd like to just take the screen and be able to scroll it uh, in any one of four directions um, and be able to do a you know horizontal left or right or vertical up or down scrolls on you know so fill the screen with like the the 256 characters and do that twice so I have a full screen and then to be able to shift it left right or up or down so um, there's a lot of things I want to do for myself to really implement these concepts in my head of of, of moving RAM moving stuff on the screen where I can see it on the screen so that's how I learn by everything is I get an idea okay how do I do it let me do it and let me make a proof of concept and now that I've seen it now it makes sense now I have context now I have application now that hopefully has stuck to my brain now let's move on to the next piece and that's kind of how I build my own internal libraries and processes in life is to t take one piece of it you know work it out do it test it play with it once I got it done okay now I know that on to the next piece so I kind of learn in those building blocks kind of way you know yeah, that's how I pretty much learned on using I mean I was a similar language programmer way way back in the 60s but on a color computer was a whole new world okay because it's a eight bit you know variable length processor and the mainframes were fixed words you know with gigabytes of memory so I had to learn understood the concept of similar language program the instructions were very similar they said different you know compare was compared and add was an yeah. ad like honestly know, like one of the, the the screen you have open right now in your text pad that shows the compiled output and all that extra data i'm hoping i never need to learn it that well i mean that's great to have it when you need it but i'm hoping that i can just work from the code and and know what the heck i'm doing and have something show up on the screen i'd be happy with that knowing it at the level that you have it here and looking at the debugger and looking in the looking at the molecules and atoms of the program that's like super crazy super cool but i hope i never need that well, I think you both need it. Okay. <laughs> it's like we're getting to the subatomic level here of the freaking electrons going through the protons around the yeah. nucleus. And <laughs> well, yeah, but the, the one thing about it, though, is once you do something, if you have a, a bug in your program, God forbid. Right. Like that table. Yeah. We had something in there where at that uh, the last one had the four and the hex zeros in there. Yeah. Now, had I just had a typo, and to put FCB uh, in there instead of FDB, it would have had one character, okay, one zero, okay? And that thing would Oh, because that's a double byte, right? Yeah, if I had yeah. a C there, it just would have had one zero. 
okay? And it would have looped through there and it wouldn't have found that zero, zero. It had just kept going through memory until it found that zero, zero and just printing garbage or until it- <laughs> That's the worst kind of self-modifying code. Right. <laughs> and therefore you almost need the debugger to step yeah, through. Yeah, yeah. Where did this crazy, where did it get off the tracks? Yeah, but, yeah, no, I hear you. But hopefully you won't have to ever debug any code. Yeah. And one thing I will mention, I, I, we'd like to get some feedback from you. These are the early episodes. We're still kind of finding the pacing and how much is too much and how much is just enough or just right to, to amass in one one sitting without going so overboard that you're getting totally lost. So I just want you know to mention that people here on our Discord or through email or whatever, just let us know, you know some suggestions like, or I didn't understand this or, okay, I got this and we could have you know got through this a little bit quicker. Like, Send us your suggestions as to how this should be paced because we're just all learning ourselves what is going to work the best for the most people. Yeah. Well, I have to type some here. One other thing we're never going to get to, but I still put it together for you. Because <laughs> you were talking about multicolors and stuff like that. Oh, look at that, all the attributes. Yeah, I, the, 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 the source is out there, okay, for this, okay, it's in that zip file, it's out there. Okay. On the high-res screen, now if you have a 32-character screen, you're going to get absolutely nothing. But in the high-res screen here, it was like our very first one, or hello. Oh, and there's your uh, background blue, foreground white. Yeah, exactly. Okay, and we did each, did each, I did each one individually. Point, put it here, 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 change the colors. And you go in there and change all them, them colors in that include file. Mm -hmm. Okay, and then the last one, here's the colors, and I added the blink to it. Okay, so it says backwards, black ground of orange plus the foreground of white plus the blink. And when you actually look at that, the very last one is blinking. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we're not there. We're not there. But that's kind of what you were kind of you're heading for. We can use the colors and use the high res text screens and do things. Yeah, like this is definitely an example you'd want to do like on a future episode, probably not too far in the future, since you're still following the same concepts. But I think I think we I think we will have to start splitting these apart a little bit not so dense i guess is what i'm trying to yeah say. like i would love to let's just do one episode of how do we clear the screen on the 32 column vdg screen how do we th throw 512 bytes of a given character to the screen to do our own version of cls and then and 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 let's just do that and then let's do you know um and then i know you've done stuff where we're going to be a while before we get to it, but you got stuff where once you throw up a screen of random gobbledygook now we can go through and we can sort it and it kind of looks like the old ms dos defragger where it's like sorting all the characters yeah. i know we'll get there and that's gonna I, I don't think we should be getting there in the next three weeks <laughs> to be honest with you. that that might be three months out before we get there who knows but um i would love to do to just build things that become a uh, building block where okay on episode one we showed you how to clear the screen on episode two we're going to show you how to put some bytes on the screen uh, some text on the screen in episode three we're now going to show you how to shift that text left or right or up or down or something like that you know and just have these examples all build on the previous example um you know an example yeah that one there where you you fill the screen with crap and then you sort it just yeah. random numbers random uh, characters on 32 yeah. characters and then we're going to sort it that's what you're talking about. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. So that's kind of cool. This this would be a great proof of concept to really understand that I, you know I've learned something and I can visually see that I'm doing something. Um, so I want to be able to. And I don't want you to just. I don't want to just steal your code. But I, these are the kind of things that I would like to know how to do. You know. Okay. Well, I, I'll try to make next week's uh, 
simpler and maybe we get more questions or people can put something on discord and say yeah yeah so this really is it's going to be molded by by it's going to be molded I have really tough skin. You could tell me it was all full of crap. I know <laughs> it's not. Let's erase it's, screen one. It's filled with too much crap. I think it's the only problem. <laughs> Get rid of week one, week two, and let's start all over. I don't care. Yeah, no, no. But um, I, I think it would be good if we just did one example per week, and that these examples were kind of a building block, and we kept building on each example. You know, so we're yeah. step one. Here's how we clear the screen. Yeah, in basic, you would type in CLS one, but in assembly, we'd actually have to do this to clear the screen. And then let's let's play with that. Let's clear the screen of colors. Let's clear the screen of symbols. All right, now okay, that's that's week one. Week two, let's let's clear the screen and let's put something on the screen and let's put it, you know, center, you know, um, and uh, and let's do that. Okay, now we've done that. Week two, now let's take what's on our screen and let's shift the screen up, down, or scroll it left to right so it kind of wraps and pans, you know. Um, that would be some interesting things that are again all visual, but all kind of stacking on. You know, you know. Step one, clear the screen. Step two, fill the screen. Step step okay. three, move the screen. You know. Um, yeah, back to, yeah, that's that's very very reasonable. That's uh, be easier for me too. Yeah, yeah, and I and I appreciate. It. I know you say you got a thick skin, but I want to stress, with all due respect, the fact you are doing this is great, and I appreciate it, but. You know, um, I know that no matter how well you did this, it's never going to be exactly right for any one person. So if I use myself as the lowest common denominator, if you can Steve explain it and you can get me to understand it, then any idiot can. Because I'm, I'm, I'm not any idiot. I'm the worst idiot. <laughs> so, um, no, but this is really cool. Yeah, so this is these are like some life goals, you know, like the, doing something like this, you know, sorting a screen. That's just it's so cool. Um, well, you know, it's like we'll, we'll start again with uh, going back and, and actually clearing the screen and putting various numbers on the screen or, uh, or print at, you know, a certain location. This Yeah, yeah. Or even have it where every time you press the key on the keyboard, it cycles through all 255 characters so we can clear the screen 255 times of 255 different characters. Um Yep. And it kind of give you an, an, an interesting appreciation for, in basic, you just type in CLS. But what's really happening in assembly is we're having to do this routine here that's either doing a stack blast or it's just doing a unrolled loop or a rolled loop or whatever it is that actually puts stuff. <laughs> Grant Lee, he says, Steve is not the brightest cocoa in the closet. <laughs> I need some retro brighting. <laughs> Uh, we love you, Grant. Grant, don't you have a root beer you need to spill somewhere? <laughs> yeah, because yeah. I, you know, because I, I understand. I was just, I, I just didn't know the level we was at, and if we're at that level, it make it makes you know it makes sense, okay? And I'll I'll go back. Yeah, and, uh, I I think rather than asking a, and I'll do a reset. Yeah instead of trying to figure out what the average comprehension level is of everyone in the community, if we're going to do a tutorial series, let's, let's, yeah, soon let's, beginner. let's aim it at the dummy, aim it at me and let's go from zero to something. <laughs> we'll, we'll, the, the worst thing is Steve is selling himself short so much because he actually understands like bytes versus words and that kind of stuff from working with internet, you know, protocols and things where some people don't even understand, you know, what's the difference between a, a eight bit byte and a 16 bit word type thing. So, we may have to get you know all the way back to that for some of the, the well the again and and when I say I understand I, I understood the decimal system of of ASCII from from the Coco days because I, in basic I 
mentally processed everything in decimal. So when I would peek or poke to the screen, I was looking at, and I always use the letter A as 65, for example, because it's an easy way to remember, right? So 65 is A, 66 is B, 67 is C, right? So you're going to move up or move down. And, and luckily, the uh, the lowercase was, what, 64 less than that, right? So when you, when, you, when you print them all up on the screen, you know, you just add or subtract 64. And that was also how, because I would write my own routines in basic to print text on the screen. And so I could either you know, strip uh, lowercase or ignore lowercase and do all kinds of stuff by adding or subtracting 64 to stuff like you did in that one example. So I'm used to doing stuff on the Cocoa in, in decimal. And I think a lot of basic programmers are. I don't know. I think any basic programmer that used AND H and used hex values in there is because they probably already knew some level of assembly. I don't think any novice programmer did hex in basic on purpose. You know, uh, of course, I'm, I'm only basing on my own personal ignorance. So... Um, uh, so I'm, I come from the decimal world. Uh, I understand what hex is. I know it's basically shorthand notation to a bunch of bits or bytes. Um, you know, eight, you know, zero through nine, a through f. I understand that part, but I don't think in hex. I don't express myself in hex or write myself in hex. So that's going to be a learning curve, I think, for a lot of basic. We're, I, I think this series should be at taking the basic programmer and stepping them through basic does it this way the assembly version is this way and build tools and libraries and routines based on that you know all right i'll i'll, I'll go back to uh week one and we'll start with that the hello world the hello world putting stuff on the screen and having do it one way and then we'll have maybe five or six programs that will say we want to fill the screen with all a's we yeah. want to clear yeah. the screen we want to print in the middle of the screen we want to do just how we're going to print to the screen as far as your hex stuff and your bits and your bytes i mean at some point in time we're going to have to learn it right 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 and there's still ways that we need to display it on the screen like during the first week i had all kinds of extra stuff to print out we never got to okay and i see now everybody would have done be looking for my house on the internet and shooting me <laughs> How do you, you know? And one of them was called, you know, by, it was basically a binary display. If I got a byte, how do I display it on the screen? You know, zero one zero one zero one. There's a routine I put out there in that first week zip file. It did all, it broke it down for you. That ain't gonna happen for months. <laughs> I can tell you're not yeah. ready for that stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How yeah. do you take? How do you take a, a something that's in register X and print it on the screen? What's that address? And, and it might even be a good primer, even though Steve Bjork's series is out there. At the top of the lesson, say, okay, in this lesson, we're going to talk about loading A and loading B and loading C, whatever. So let's just really quickly remind you what the A, B, and C registers are. You know, A and B and X registers are real, real quick, you know, re reintroduction to the vocabulary. Um, this I'm lesson. Gonna skip all this attribute stuff we could talk about with all them colors, all that underscore B, foreground, background color. We'll skip that then for a month. <laughs> but listen, this, um, you're asking for input. You're getting my input. I'm only one person. There's, you know, there's oh. do, there's dozens of people out there who, who want to benefit from this. So take my input as one of a few and then kind of take it from there. Okay, uh, there's, there's the Bible. Okay, it's on the internet. I mean, it's on Lance, the internet. Lance Leventhal. Okay. If you, don't buy, if you don't buy the book, okay, it's, it's in a PDF form out on the internet. You can find it. It's I probably have that. Okay, Lance uh, Leventhal, MC6809 Cookbook. They, they all, this here is also on uh, Color Computer Archive. You can find this one here. It's very, very old. I think this is some of the guys that actually worked on the original hardware. All right, and then uh, this one here is pretty good too. 
Okay, it's also on the uh, Color Computer Archive. Dig them out, look at them, and uh, maybe understand some some more. Yeah, things. yeah. There is there is. I mean, with anything in life, and when I use, I used to teach, and I always say, you know, learning is not a passive process; it's an active process. And if anybody wants to be successful at learning anything, they they need to apply some ownership to that process. They've got to put in an effort. So I can't just sit on my ass and expect you to keep explaining something until it makes perfect sense to me, because that just makes me a bad student, right? So I want to learn. I do, I am going to get active, but my advice to anybody else is if you want to learn this you need to, you need to be you need to be in the driver's seat of your knowledge process right and you got to take some ownership and you got to put in some effort um, we're going to hand you and spoon feed you a lot of a lot of stuff but it's up to each person to really apply that and work on that to make it you know to you, you know you gotta you gotta make it your own right so well uh, that's that's the only way to learn you're gonna have to do it yourself and i and you know and I, some people may only have a, a color computer one or two and they won't be able to use this high-res stuff. Right. But I still suggest everybody get, you know, if you're on Unix or if you're on Windows, get it set up where you've got this environment where you've got the debugger. Because I don't see how you really can do some of this stuff without some kind of... Yeah, that's just, that is so above and beyond my where my thought process is and my comprehension capabilities are right now. I appreciate it, but I cannot I see myself voluntarily turning that stuff on anytime soon. But who knows? You, you might you might make a you might make me eat my words and I'd look forward to well, that. Well, so. yeah, but we can, you know, we can, <laughs> as, you, as you learn more and you start... Yeah, yeah. You're looking at the program, this register here and this register there and loading this and moving this. Once you get to the debugger, then you you can look at them things in real world. And say, oh, there it is. In yeah. Time, yeah. No, I get I get it. I, I get it. And I I'm I, you know I appreciate that it's there, and I know that it would have some use. I'm just thinking for my simple needs right now. But again, I want to surprise myself too. Okay. So yeah, and I appreciate you, George. I truly do. I really okay. appreciate what you're doing for us. Here was here was week one down at the bottom. Printing by Mary. How to be able to print that? <laughs> uh, you have a register that has one A two B, and how do you get that print to the screen where you got it one A two B on the screen? That whole routine was out there. We're not going to do that for months. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Back in the old days, you know, screen dumps, you know, on a mainframe, it might be a stack of paper six inches thick. Okay. You know, you get a you know twenty meg of printed out of screen, and there's a there's a bug in your code somewhere. You learned how to read in hex. Okay. You learned how to track stuff. So and. Yeah, and we're gonna we're gonna have to. I mean, we all have to realize that. I have to realize that too. And I'm not I'm not I'm not resistant to that. I'm not saying no. I'm not gonna learn it. No, but no. But I just I know that that is not a second nature or a third or even a fourth nature to me right now. But that will be part of the process. Is that level of fluency of uh, of of kind of expressing and thinking and doing stuff in hex, you know? But just remember in hex. Instead of the ASCII characters being six four apart, they are four zero apart. So the math is actually easier when you're dealing with computers. Oh, because you're almost adding, even though it's in hex, it's almost like adding a decimal, right? So it's 40, 80, 120, right? Well, so so, yeah. so your characters are four zero, four one, four two, four three. Right, right, and then to, to skip you know, a line. Six zeros. It's, yeah, 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 yeah. All right, I'm. I got my marching orders. Yeah, and, and no, but listen, I want to. I appreciate you. I hope other people do too. And I would stress that yeah, if we want to learn this, we need to take an active role in the learning. But also, if we want to improve how we're presenting this on the show, people need to take an active role in feedback 
giving us feedback yes. in the Discord channel. You know, I'd like to know this, or can you clear up this or clear up that? Don't just sit on your ass and complain to one other person about this ain't the way you want it. You know, get off your ass and and and, and talk to us, communicate. You know, feedback, and let's. And, um, and in today's uh, example, there was three ways. Like I said, there's more than one way to skin a cat, and I just had three examples. Yeah. And that because there is so many different ways, it depends upon the circumstance what you got. Do you have a two byte table or do you have a one byte table or do you have a three byte table? Okay, you may want to use branch and equal, branch not equal. You want to do different things in different situations. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's what it's meant to be. But I, I understand now that's not where we're at yet. Yeah. So I think for next week, we're going to do is go back to printing one character on a time. We're going to clean, clear the screen from 400 to 5FFF. Uh, and I'll come up with a. Uh, a class project or you go work on it your own over the week yeah and and when you're done sharing a screen I already, I already know what it is yeah when you're done sharing your screen i want to just real quick um share the screen of um of what i threw together last night in the in the channel because again because i because it's it's helpful for me to learn things visually of course i have to find it now i gotta uh, remember the program i changed here but i don't accidentally save it uh, oh, while Steve is looking that up, I just want to mention there's a couple other books that are worthwhile getting, or if you have them ready, uh, William Barden's Color Computer Assembly Language Programming book is quite good, too. Now, that one, Bill Barden himself said he does not want that publicly available. Um, I'm not sure why, but that he's one of the people that actually refused to allow it to be in archives. So that one you'll have to add the physical copy you can get on eBay. Another one is Lawrence yeah. Teppel did a couple. He did uh, a, a language programming for the Terracity Color Computer, which is pretty good. And then he did a follow-up for the Cocoa 3 specifically, which is an addendum. You need both if you want to do that, but it actually teaches you all the Cocoa 3 unique stuff. Well, and then finally, Don and Kurt Inman did a semi-language graphics for the Tier City Color Computer, which is a really good one, really well done for uh, beginning a semi-language programmer. And actually, you know, goes through how the graphics models. It's definitely oriented towards a game writer type thing, but covers some of the basic stuff as well. Uh, I will mention the Lance Leventhal. It is the Bible, but is also, if you're a beginner, it's the hardest one to understand out of the whole batch. Because Lance gets very technical. And he's using terminology that unless you've learned some of this stuff at an early stage, you're going to be as lost. Because I remember when I first got that book, I had no idea what the hell I was even reading. And then I went back to Barden's, which did it a bit more English style. And then I kind of got the concepts. And then I went back to Leventhal because he's got a ton of you know useful stuff in there. But it's definitely not what I would call a beginner's tome for that. All right, I'm done. One more. Okay. Here's, what I said. Here's what I said about comments early remarks in your code. Here is the original pack program I wrote in C. Okay. I got some note got some notes up here when I changed it, I guess from uh, OS9 and the, and the DOS or in a VAX and a Unix box, okay? But as I scroll through here, look at all the notes on the right-hand side. Where they at? I don't see any notes. Do you see any notes or comments here? Oh, here's a little, yeah, here's a little bit thin. There. But look at this thing. I don't remember what half this stuff is. You see, look at this, all this here. If it's OS 9, do it this way. If it's a if it's a Unix box, do it this way. I don't see too many notes on what the hell it meant. <laughs> this goes on and on and on like this. Anyway, enough said. Put some notes in there because I wouldn't have no idea what this program does anymore. Right, right, Remember right, right. This is, this is pack.c. There's a pack1.c, 2.c. All these things are all linked together, and I don't know what any of them <laughs> Oh, here's one. Here's a note. An end of the unsqueeze uh, routine. All okay. right. All right. All right. Enough said. I got to go. All right. Listen, thank you so much. I will. Yeah, thanks, George.
have something easier next week. All right, I'm gonna take you off of spotlight now. And, and real quick, if you're if you haven't looked at it in Discord, I'm just gonna drag it over here so you can see it. Um, where the hell did it go? Uh, okay, so I have it here. Um, so this is uh, this is a chart I, I threw together to visualize all of the characters that Dakoko can produce on the VDG. And and uh, I love how Tim Linder came up with the, with the term like how yeah, we have like the pet has pet ski like ASCII. He came up with the term VDG ski, right? So this is because it's not complete ASCII, right? So this is the VDG character set. And in, I'm used to thinking of it in decimal. So from 0 to 255 were the characters. And if you look over here, you can kind of see where you look for the capital letter A. It's 65 decimal. That's 41 hex, right? B is 66, 42 hex, right? So it's kind of like what um, what uh, Rick Ulan was saying, right? So 40, 64 is 40, right? Uh, we're in, we're, um, and so the at symbol is either 64 or 40 um, for the uppercase version of these things. So I figured if I if I need to start learning hex or expressing things in hex to start doing assembly, I came up with my own little uh, cheat sheet on what the decimal equivalent was and what the hex equivalent is of all the Coco characters because that's where I want to start for myself. I just want to start by blasting stuff on the VDG screen. And, I, and again, I like kind of cheat sheets and guides and things like quick references. So this is a little poor man's thing I threw together. Um, and I threw that screenshot in the uh, Discord server. So if that made any sense to anyone or that may be of benefit to anyone, um, you're welcome. If not, I'm sorry for wasting your time. Uh, <laughs> okay, so, uh, but thank you again, George. Uh, I know it's a lot. And I know it's like even for me who wants to learn this and kind of sort of has a clue it's kind of overload right and so but i'm trying to follow you and i'm hopefully i'm not um offending you with all my dumb no. questions yeah never, never um awesome awesome okay if you ask me the same question five weeks in a row i might get a little <laughs> <upset>. <laughs> other than that no questions that's uh there's no such thing as a stupid question right right i'll okay. try all right. <laughs> Okay. Excellent. All right. Well, if we have no further questions or comments, do we want to let's just keep the gravy train rolling and we'll move right into uh, the news without Curtis Boyle. Do you feel like doing news, Curtis? Or do you need a break? Do you need a potty break, Curtis? Should probably oh, let's see if I, can wing it. I think my depends are dry, so I should be good for a bit here. Oh, one, se one second. I went longer than I thought I would. I'm going to leave. All right, George. Thank you. Next week. All right. Thank you very much. Uh, all right. So we're going to go ahead and roll right into news with L. Curtis Boyle. From around the world, what you need to know. Get caught up on News with El Cristobal. And now a Muppet News Flash. All right, you have, the, you have the horizontal and the vertical, Curtis, if you need to share. Okay. So first up, uh, the latest Coca Crew episode dropped. So you can grab that over on their website, uh, cocacrew.org. And uh, a couple of the highlights they did actually, ironically enough, uh, John's tech segment was actually on how to use hexadecimal from Extended Basic. So that's right up your alley for this week. Hey! <laughs> and um, Neil did a cover of Vexter, which actually, he actually chose the Nitrous 9 Ease of Use Project version of Vexter to run, which actually has a few extra options. The cartridge didn't have like picking a start level, being immortal, you know, that kind of thing. So that was pretty cool. So we'll go grab that episode for the month. And next up, I'm, this one I'm going to play part of. I'm, I'm going to play the whole thing because it's it's seven and a half minutes long. But uh, Todd Wallace, Lord Dragon on our Discord, has been working on an IRC client for Nitrous 9 and DriveWire. 
and it's basically working now. So he's got a downloadable uh, version. I'll put the YouTube link here for the video, but if you go down to the comments, he's actually got the link to directly download the uh, 0.9 beta test file of it. So I will play a little bit of that and we'll kind of skip ahead after his little intro. Hey guys, so I wanted to show you a project that I've been working on for quite some time. <laughs> this guy's amazing. And I finally think I got it into a state that I can share it with you and let people try it. Uh, it is a native IRC chat client for the Cocoa um, under OS 9 or Nitrous 9. Um, and um, the way to install it, you can copy the files manually or you can use a small script that I put together, which I'll show you real quick. I will mention actually the the version one of Nitrosine you use is going to start uh, using install scripts too, so it doesn't keep wiping all your files. settings out if you've changed them. Um, so like I said, you can you can copy this manually if you want, and you can put the uh, the executable wherever you want. All right, so I wanted to show you guys Coco IRC in action. Um, to launch it, you just type Coco IRC. Look at that! And this is the opening screen you get. Now, um, yeah, for Dave Phillipson who's in the chat the there, his uh, layout here reminds me a lot of Supercom. So you can see uh, if it's not found, it will let you know default settings are being used, but it also gives you some pointers on where to start, especially if like you're new to IRC. Uh, you can type slash intro and uh, you'll get this information. This is where the at me came uh, from that um, advice, people still uh, use, but not all platforms recognize, you know, yeah. Recognize it. Networks to connect to. But, I remember um, IRC back in the day. Oh, and also there, there's anybody a, ever pick up uh, women on IRC? That I built in. Uh, this is what that help file we copied. Earlier. I remember trying in CompuServe. Uh, Am I the only one? Slash help. These are all the different uh, <laughs> commands. Uh, there are also um, subcategories that you can get help on. Um, yeah, you spend a fair bit of time doing the help system. I remember you asking some yeah, questions. Yeah, that's on that's incredible. Parameters. So let's say we wanted to get help on setting colors. I didn't even know you could do colors and in IRC. All that inf information there. Uh, yeah, it's just pretty cool. Um, and it just pulls it straight off the file so the, the, the binary doesn't get too huge. But now let's... I'll just fast forward a little bit here so he's actually... And so there's a typical it's connection. But back here so watch the login. Not working. All right. And so there's a typical connection process here. Now the default nickname that it comes with is Sam Gimme, so hopefully uh, Samuel Gimes. <laughs> um, but if you want to change the nickname, you can just use uh, that was good. Uh, nickname. Sam um, I'll use. We'll see if the trademark copyright police come after him now. Yeah. I'm not gonna. I've never seen color in IRC, but I was doing IRC back in like the Windows 98 days. I don't remember those clients being uh, colorful. I do remember yeah, some some IRC clients I used back in the day were color and others weren't. So it kind of depended, I think, the platform. Uh, now, by default, it will show you all the people that are in the channel. Uh, I see Deke, uh, see, like Lord Dragon, little, uh, Sexy, Karen, display. Lost Wizard. Lost Wizard, yeah. yeah. This was actually live off the real Coco yeah. IRC. Uh, so. Obviously, and if you're going to join a large channel uh, that's got hundreds of people, that could really hey, Sloopy just joined us. flood the screen. So if you want to shut that Unlike off, Coco Chat, not a large channel. Um, <laughs> He's got little Names, subtitles on this video. Sixty uh, <laughs> mentions too. Most of us disable colors in our clients because they're annoying. The names I actually kind of like the colors because they help highlight different sections. The names manually by just using the names command. Um, so 
Hey guys, doing another demo. So you can see how it works. And just in case nobody's From Tech around, Todd. jump on the PC. Yep. Now, ironically enough, at this point, you know, even though those other people logged in, nobody was actually active by the computer, so we didn't get a response. Uh oh. So ended up switching Very to, I think, a, an OS 10. Uh, so now, if you chapter. were to join another channel, let's say that error screen came from Gladys. Mac OS 10, OS 10. So you see, it didn't show the names that time. Um, now that we have that off, um, and so now you can see uh, activity happening in that channel. Now, side by side, we'll also get um, Coco Chat. Uh, now here on the bottom where it says active window that lets you know um, what you're interacting with at the time you can see everything kind of simultaneously but if i type something right now my text will go to mac os 10. now let's say i wanted to say something oh, this is kind of like in your email where you can uh, see all mailboxes or just one yeah, mailbox or something use, uh, okay text command so there's like slash next and then there's slash prev for previous uh, and that would let you go back and forth uh, but you can also use control and right and left arrow to sort of toggle back and forth between. This is really impressive. Windows. This would be impressive uh, even for running on a PC uh, or something, you know? You yeah, it's a pretty nice little pod. Or slash part. Um, Might actually get me off my ass to actually install DriveWire. DriveWire. But uh, drive yeah, wire. for the most part, it works. I, TTL. I guarantee you guys there's going to be bugs in this. Um, so I would definitely encourage people to uh, reach out to me and... You know, let me know if something doesn't work. Um, I definitely welcome uh, feature uh, recommendations, although I can't promise. I'll yeah, this have is, time to get almost looks like I'm looking at a PC screen. That I did yeah. implement was to be able to turn the timestamp off. Uh, and you can, I since you can do multiple channels, you can kind of switch that. between on that. But if you run this so in another window, you can actually connect to different IRC servers here. and actually um, run simultaneously on, on multiple uh, characters, um, which may not be. Um, uh, Dave Phillipson says that this is a nice so, job. I'm trying to think if there's anything else I wanted to show. Um, yeah, he'd, he'd be one to, to say too because he did one who did the original Supercom for OSI, which is one of the first great terminal programs under OSI. Do that. Those are all the people that helped me. Oh, Curtis this. Boyle. Um, and Deke. So definitely thanks to, to those guys. And Lost Wizard, alias yeah. Willie Maxwell. Mm -hmm. So you can email me with questions. The other two actually are active on RC, though, on the Coke chat. I very rarely get in there. <laughs> my first name, Todd, T-O-D-D, at techtodd.com, spelled T-E-K. Anyway, I just want to show that as a preview because that's, that's pretty cool. Now, we were also talking uh, kind of offline about it, but uh, if you remember, Brett Gordon did that game, that multiplayer game that you can play online with real Cocos using DriveWire. For his uh, what was it called again global Steve? thermal nuclear war yeah and he was using irc channels to send the data of where you're shooting the messages at and stuff yeah like that. yeah so now that we, now that todd's got this core engine under os9 done to handle irc traffic you could take part of the engine he did for his program here and you could actually make a new coco 3 version with high-res graphics that would actually be able to interplay with the coco 2 version that brett did so if we actually want to get a massive multiplayer game going type thing, I think it's going to be possible pretty quick here, at least on that one specific game, and maybe come up with a few others that use the same technique. That's incredible. So I'm looking forward to that. And like I said, I might actually get my off my ass to get DriveWire going, unless Rick beats him to it and uh, or beats me to it and actually comes out with his you know actual network card and type stuff there. So. Well, I was going to ask: Is this encrypted or clear? So the IRC is well. 
That's a good question. I don't know. Because DriveWire, I'm assuming, would handle that based on the the host OS that's running the DriveWire server. So we would probably be able to handle both that way. But doing it raw from a regular Cocoa, I'm not sure exactly. I mean, you wouldn't want to try to do the encryption in real time on a Cocoa, that's for sure. You'd need a chip, yeah, and I don't have one, so. <laughs> yeah, I'll have to find that out. I don't know. Todd, okay. if you're out there Sloopy listening, said, let us know. Sloopy says it uses encryption. Okay, so that would pretty well require DriveWire at this point, then. Actually, I'm reading that it, it doesn't, it, it can use encryption. I guess, so. I guess it would depend on the server. Server, if the server yeah, was set up for encryption or not. Right. Okay, interesting. I mean, a lot of potential there, and this is a pretty cool looking program. It's a nice professionally done one, so. Thank you, Todd. Uh, next one, is Ron DelVoe still on the call? Ron we might yes, sir. Yes, I am. He stayed awake through the whole assembly thing. Good job, Ron. Wow, that, that's impressive, Ron. <laughs> Did you see my hangman? No. <laughs> I needed the letter M. <laughs> what, for more assembly language talk? Is that what that was? Uh-huh. Exactly. <laughs> so hey, this is a, a channel called LLT, Long Lost Tech, which had been on the, a bit of a pause for a while. And uh, we've actually shown him before because you might recognize this power light he put onto his cocoa and stuff here. But he just did a quick little announcement saying his channel's going to be back. He's going to be doing some videos. He's got a couple. He said he's already got kind of in the editing stage. Uh, but he decided to make a little 10-minute teaser video to say he's back. And I thought Ron would like this because he's a huge fan of Deskmate. He oh. actually did his little screen on Deskmate using the paint program for the Cocoa 1 and 2 version of this. Oh, let's see. You know, one button, you know, lethal weapon mouse. Yeah, what what what's the uh, what's the product number on that lethal weapon mouse? <laughs> <laughs> well, a very very quick little thing there, but uh, he did use the uh... celebrating five years. Yeah, get it on that thing and pause because it's there. Brief hit hit the pause. Okay, file palette tool edit LLT celebrating five years of LLT. New videos coming soon. Cool. And Ron, you've you actually used the pain program in in Deskmate quite a few times, I think, back in the day, or even yep, recently. Yep, and more so um, the text feature and uh, uh, a lot of all of it actually. You know, I used to keep numbers in there and stuff and do things like that too. Yeah, it's still a program I have to fix. Uh, Deskmate three, I probably won't bother with Deskmate one and two, but I got to fix it so it runs under Nature's nine properly. I remember yeah. running. Um, I never ran Deskmate on a Cocoa, but I ran it on the original Tandy one thousand, where it was all text based. Where you had like those kind of different panels where you could see your documents in each panel, and then you could open up a Word file or a spreadsheet file. But then I remember when the the the, the other Tandy came out, the EX or whatever it's called, and they had a graphical Deskmate. Where it was that was almost kind of sort of like the precursor to Windows, right? And um, they had the music player that played the multi-voice music, and they had a paint program too with the mouse. And there was a driver that you could use to use a Coco mouse because Tandy One Thousand had the same DIN port as a Coco, so you could use your Coco mouse. And there was an MS DOS driver for it, and then you could paint with your Coco mouse on your Tandy One Thousand. I did that, and I, I ran that graphical paint program on the Tandy. Uh, decimate and I did you know some mountains and clouds and trees and crap like that uh, it was kind of neat for the time it was kind of the precursor to like the windows paint which would be like the mac paint and stuff like that you know so yeah. um, deskmate did a lot of stuff that and if you well, didn't plus use if you it, were one a person that restored your own pinball machine you could take apart the black mouse and or the even the second deluxe two button mouse and actually take the steel ball out and use it in your pinball machines is it literally a pinball I think it might be a little I, bit larger I can't remember mm. I think it's an inch and a sixteenth instead of one inch, but 
awfully close. Close enough, huh? Yeah. Definitely a lethal weapon. If you huck that mouse at somebody, you could take your oh, hand off. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Not these wimpy, light plastic ones that are going to flip them around. Yeah, you get like a Popeye arm if you use that mouse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I used to bench press with them myself. Uh, but <laughs> uh, Speaking of assembly. Tandy yeah, this was kind of interesting. Uh, so there's a channel called Amber's Vibe Corner, which I'd never heard of before. And it's apparently fairly new. It's only got four subscribers. But all of a sudden, out of nowhere this week, there's two very quick assembly language using EdTasm uh, programs for the Coco here running. So I thought I'd show them both because they're both pretty quick. And I haven't used EdTasm in so long. I don't remember what half this stuff does. I don't know what the hell they're doing right now. P number? Oh, is that just printing out? Print. Yeah, print okay. the listing maybe. Okay. That's a symbol in memory. I do remember that one. There's your labels of what they equated to. The Z-Bug. Sadly, I've become acquainted with EdTasm again. Nah, this is all... <laughs> oh, is this a program that's scrolling stuff on the screen? Bubble sort. Yeah. yeah. So, that's so some... I was wondering, maybe he, she has actually been watching, because this is kind of similar to what Georgia demo last week with the right. sorting type thing. So I don't know, maybe they're trying that on their own. Maybe we've got people doing live examples. Yeah, well, they chime in and let us know so we can show you on purpose and not stumble you by accident. Um, <laughs> this next one's one. a really quick one. This is just basically turning on the G, excuse me, <clears throat> the G2R graphics mode. Did puberty just kick in, Curtis, finally? Yeah, finally. Yeah. <laughs> Took over half a century. But it's, it's, yeah. <laughs> Maybe I can get a girlfriend now. Um, so basically, this is just like low-level programming the SAM and the VDG to just turn the graphics mode on. They don't even bother cleaning the screen. I think. So this is kind of like figuring out you know, what you have to do to set up a the point. immediate. Gianette. Okay, so that's just kind of like doing a screen one comma zero or something like that. Just yeah, P mode, uh, you know, P mode one, zero comma zero one, comma one, screen one, comma one. one. Okay, yeah. but controlling like where the screen so, is, and, and this is the stuff. kind of stuff that would really help me say, okay, this is what you do in basic. In basic, you type in P mode one, comma one, screen one, comma one, whatever. In assembly, we do blah blah blah. So do some compare and contrast. This is the basic way to set up a screen. This is the assembly way to set up a screen. That's going to help me, and that's these are some of my little projects and you know life goals to to do things on. So yeah. Um, yeah, I thought it was interesting. I, like I said, I don't know if they're following or if this is just massive coincidence. Yeah, no, that's cool. But uh, I'll, I'll keep an eye out to see what else they do here in the next week or two, too. Next up, we have uh, Robert C., who's been very busy with the Alice's, which, of course, is the French... We lay Alice. Uh, we. Th yeah, the French version of the MC-10 that then got expanded to be an Alice 32 and an Alice 80, I 90, think, or 90. 90. Are either of these ladies here named Alice by any chance? Because that would be an ironic coincidence. Haha. Uh -huh. Okay. Q, Q Alanis Morissette. Yeah, my um, favorite. So basically, the, those, the, the, the Alice 32 and the Alice 90 actually have secondary VDG chips, or a, 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 not a VDG chip, but a video display chip that actually introduced 40 and 80 columns, expanded palettes, et cetera, but also had some backwards compatibility with the old VDG for the old, you know, the original Alice and MC10 stuff. So what he's been doing here is been kind of fiddling with some of the, the uh, they also had customizable fonts. So he's customized the oh, font. Oh, wow, that is so cool. That's like very Andy Warhol-ish, you know? Yeah, kind of. And he's basically converting them into the 40 column or 80 column screen with the attributes of colors and stuff with the custom character set to kind of fake dithering somewhat. Mm. So it, I mean, would that be comparable to something like ANSI graphics on the PC? Or like the Spectrum type stuff? 
Yeah, right. similar. Right. Yeah. 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 So he's been doing a lot of experimentation with this kind of stuff here. Um, this is just I'd like to do some experimentation of that stuff right there. <laughs> Way to class the show up, Steve. <laughs> yes. So here he's got some more that are actually uh, you're That's getting into cool. fairly advanced dithering and stuff it's here. Like, to... It's like a pseudo ray trace. And oh, here's how he that. does it with the actual text character. Yeah. Set. Oh, my God. That is so cool. Eat your heart out, uh, BDG, huh? your uh, semi-graphics. And that's the original you know, high-color image he was based yeah. on. Oh man, this is like, uh, it's almost like it's, Van Gogh. I'm looking yeah. stuff right. Look at that. Now you can see this one's Very a little bit impressive. too advanced for that algorithm to handle well, but Mississippi. Oh, look at that. That's the text version. Yeah, that's almost like go back, go back two frames, like go back one more, and then and then click to the right now on the Mississippi. Look at the uh, the first one. Okay, and then one more to the right. Boom! That's almost like a like a pixelization effect that you would get on a in a video editor or a photo editor. You know, you take a normal picture and then you pixelate it. That's kind of what that looked like going from one frame to the next. There, um, that's cool. Yeah, it's a pretty pretty cool technique, and it definitely shows the expanded color palette. Yeah, that if only we could do that kind of semi-graphics on any yeah. Coco. <laughs> and these these ones here are forty by twenty-five text. Total Van Gogh <laughs> looking. That's so Van Gogh looking right there. Yeah. <laughs> Is that Britney Spears? Yes, it is. I can get my Britney Spears record. Um, oh, that's that is so cool, man. Hey, it's what's her face? Jerry Ryan. Yeah, I'd recognize those lips anywhere. That, that's a ship. Okay, cool. <laughs> Another ship. Now, these look really cool, though. Look at that, though. Look pff, the sunburst. Like even with low color and everything else, it's so impressive. Yeah, it's almost especially so, at a distance, like if I zoom out here. Yeah, if you, you kind of, it's like where you actually, squint your eyes, right? And you, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, so cool. It's kind of like having a color pet ski or something. Yeah, like, like yeah, exactly. You remember, like, I remember, like, years ago, you, you go into the mall. This is back in, like, the 70s. And they would take a picture of you, and then they would print it out on a line printer. Where it was just all ASCII characters, but it kind of looked like a grayscale photograph when you pull, pulled yep. it back a little bit. That's kind of like what we're doing here. but Like I mean, line printer art was. Back yeah, then. yeah, ASCII art. Um, this is so cool. Has oh, there ever been a uh, a Coco like creative competition? You know, sort of where people submit artwork to see, you know, just to see everybody that's that's got stuff going on. I mean, because obviously this stuff is is very impressive. Yeah. Well, we started an art gallery channel in Discord, and I think people okay. are throwing stuff in there. I, okay, I, I don't cool. know that yeah, we're Eric in particular has put in quite a bit of stuff. I don't know that we're actively mining that and displaying that like we should, but it's there is something going on there. Yeah. That's awesome. That's yeah. great. And I will mention Rainbow Magazine used to have their gallery, yeah. Rainbow Gallery, That's, that they would publish. That was the idea the top behind three best ours. pictures yeah. every month. And then they eventually, when the Coco 3 came out, they actually had two categories. You had Coco 1 and 2 art, and then you had Coco 3 art, because, of course, it was a bigger palette, better res, et cetera. I mean, he's been doing a lot of interesting things there. So yeah, really that's cool. so neat. Next up in the Dragon News section, so we've talked about the MSX2 Plus board, which combines the video chip, sprite chip, and the sound chip from the MSX machine into the Dragon or a Coco. It would work in there, too. So this is his latest revision release candidate, too, uh, just kind of showing how the current design's going. So he just submitted them for board manufacturing. He's supposed to be receiving them, I believe, this next week or so. And uh, he's hoping eventually to get this out as a commercial product and then just need some drivers. Now, I will mention Parasurat has already done some conversions of the AGD uh, games yeah. that were ported from the Spectrum. And we've seen a couple examples of that. Now, some of them have to be kind of customized to you know, tackle the, the completely different way that the sound chip and the uh, graphics chip works from the standard Dragon or Coco. 
but uh, having that engine ported over means there's a couple hundred games right there that'll be able to run ready to play features. with a little bit more color because i think that's the only major downside to the current msx is that it's truly monochrome and i don't think it does some of the games complete justice it's nice that they're there but they all look monochrome yeah, yeah. i do like that he silk screen here on the bottom here actually what all the different addresses for the various hardware bits oh. that he's got on this board are so you can actually just look them up so if you get this 50 years in the future on some other retro it's kind of like hobbyist, the uh, commenting your code right so exactly <laughs> except right on the hardware itself yeah. commenting your addresses <laughs> I mean, it doesn't give you the details of what every bit does and everything, but at least you yeah. know, like, you know, what the you know the data port is on the VDG and what the data port is for the sound chip, et cetera. So, I'm definitely looking forward to see who who is going to tackle this. I mean, uh, Karen maybe can mention because I know he's been kind of uh, talking about some of this stuff too on the Dragon stuff, and I'm just wondering how widespread is it for people to actually planning to program for this because I like to see what they kind of do with this and if it gets popular enough. I I plan to once I learn assembly, I want to start programming for this. A lot of things I plan to do. What I'll actually get around to is a whole other story. So, uh... and the last regular news story before getting game on news. This is um, Patrick Gom. Now, this is a, a festival type thing called Born Data Summer 2021, which is actually today in Sweden. And it's basically a retro show where they get a bunch of people getting together to do a bunch of demos and, and stuff like that. They also have a bunch of speakers, and they've got it's it's currently fairly Commodore and Amiga centric at this point. And they have some of the people that, you know, help create some of the chips in the Amiga are doing speeches today, et cetera. Now, I was going to ask both, since you guys are obviously the, the main Amiga show I know of. Uh, were you familiar with this particular event? No. No, I haven't heard about this before. So tell me more. <laughs> well, I'll mention, this... like, the, the, the person that posted this, he wants to get more. Because it, it's not just Commodore and Amiga and VIC-20 and Commodore 64 and PET. They are some other platforms represented. But he wants to get it expanded to cover a lot more of what were the common European ones, including the Dragons and the BBC Micros and everything else. Now, he did mention that he was trying to get some speakers, specifically for the Dragon, to come out to this. And, of course, COVID's kind of screwed everything up, too, for people being able to attend anything. But the speaker list they got here is actually pretty pretty impressive here. So they got Bill Hurd, the father of the Commodore 128, the Plus 4, and chief engineer of Commodore in the 80s. Dave, now, one of these, I think, did you interview one of these, Buddha, at Amigathon? I'm looking at, yeah, so Dave Haney, I definitely, I interviewed last year at Amiga Ireland when I went over there to Athlone. Um, and Huselbeck, Chris Huselbeck, he is the, he's he's most famous for the Turrican soundtrack, which is sort of one of the most famous Amiga soundtracks of all time. Uh, Bill Hurd, you know, that's a name I know, but I, I've never talked to him before. Okay. Because it looks, it looks like they're getting some pretty big names to come out for this. So yeah. I'm, oh, yeah. You know. I mean, Dave Haney, Dave Haney is... That you're you're selling him short, calling him the father of the Amiga 3000. He was the father of the Amiga 500. He was the one that figured out a way to cost cut the original Amiga 1000 and actually make it affordable. So um, yeah, I mean that's him and Huselbeck are huge names. Bill Hurd, I mean the father of the Commodore 128. I mean I'm sure that's that's sort of cool for people that are into the 128. But by the time that Commodore was making the 128, they were they were neck deep in the Amiga. So okay, not to mention the Amigas way better of a machine than the 128 yeah yeah so it looks like a pretty interesting event and i i you know if you send somebody in we've got a few european viewers here both mainland and the uk that are probably a bit easier to get to this show obviously not today it's probably too late to get them there if they didn't already know about it but this is planned to be an annual thing and if they expand it to cover some of the other 8-bit and the older 16-bit machines too that'd be a pretty cool show to go to just to have a general expo of every single retro machine at once 
Maybe maybe send Neil there as an on the spot reporter there, uh, John. Yeah, I, I I'm gonna have to tell him about this. This is called the four. Born data summer twenty twenty. Born data summer. Okay, that is actually coming up this Saturday. So uh, yeah, it's like today. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. I'll, po today. I'll post I'll post the link to the Facebook group. You have to be a member of the Dragon uh, group to to get it. But I'll post it in the. Uh... Where what what city is this being held in? Do you know? Um. These are the kind of things that you want in a tweet. You want to know where it's being held, so you can actually go there. What is it even a Zoom Hangout for, too? Oops. Maybe it's an online-only event. That's what I'm guessing. Maybe yeah, like maybe this year in particular. Dave Haney in and all that stuff, yeah. Maybe Sweden. They've got the, uh, the Swede there. There's Bill Hurd. I like the website, how it looks very... Yeah, yeah, very cool. Very retro. Yeah. I like that font. Uh, anyway, it's a pretty, pretty fascinating uh, event. I would like to see, you know, some people try to, like, if they'd make it an in-person event again, I would love to see some, you know, Dragon and Cocoa representation as well as, you know, the other APIC platforms that are not. It would, it would be great if this could kind of turn into the uh, EU version of the Cocoa Fest, you know. Yeah. Or like a VCF or something, yeah. Uh, I'm sure there's a huge demand to learn all about uh, ease of use uh, over there in Sweden, Curtis. So yeah. they're probably gonna, they were going to fly you over there first class. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Here's a rowboat and a couple of sandwiches. <laughs> also a muzzle, so be quiet. <laughs> Bring your own duct tape. <laughs> <laughs> but this I thought was an interesting guest to get to. Sweden's infrastructural and digital minister secretary in the government, Mr. Anders, I don't know how to pronounce his last name, but he's going to attend and talk about his early career with the uh, ZX81 and the Spectre Video MSX and as the editor of The Hacker. Oh, wow. Hmm. What a background, be a huh? Pretty, pretty interesting one, too. So I might have to go back. Like if this gets recorded and put up either on the website or on YouTube or something, I'm going to have to go check some of this stuff out. Yeah, absolutely. So that ends the regular news. Let's, let's keep it going. We're already at uh, going on 530. Yeah, so there's not too the much in the game news okay. either, so this will be pretty quick. So Keep it going. Keep it going. Roll in, roll in, roll in. Great. Right. Ah, okay, we're seeing part of your browser, like about the top third of the browser. There we go. So the, the first two are, of course, Jim Gary, because he puts out something just about every week. Ding, 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 ding. <clears throat> so this week, he had a bit of a theme. He did some conversions or games based on games around the original APF Imagination machine, uh, which he ported to the MC10. So that is a machine that is actually older than the Cocoa itself, and it used the same DDG chip, because, of course, Motorola brought that chip out, I think, in 78, which is a couple years before the Cocoa. And it was used on 6800-based systems, as well as, you know, in this case, I think... Uh, John, do you remember what the APF has for a CPU? I was going to write it down. I forgot, apparently. The what? The APF Imagination Machine. I'm not familiar with it. Okay, because it was a very early, early machine. I thought the I thought the 6809 and the DDG and everything was under development when AgVision approached Motorola and they pointed them towards No, the VDG had been out for a couple years previous because that was already on 6800-based systems. Oh, okay. I didn't realize. So that was just something that they had when they pointed to AgVision to 
yeah, we've got yeah. some chips out here that <clears throat> the VDG was designed to work with a six to eight XX bus. No, look basically. at that. Let the mission begin. That's cute. Yeah, so this, it, this, the wick is going down. The sparks on the wick, right? So basically, the, the, the VDG works with any 68XX, like 6803, like the MC10, 6809, 6800, etc. So. What is going on here? I'm confused. I've seen it used on some Z80 systems, too. Yeah. As far as I can tell, the S is you, the G is a guard. Now, the oh. flashing yellow bars is the guard looking down those hallways to see if he sees oh, me to come get okay, you. Okay, okay. And so this is you trying to find your way through the dark or something? Yeah, like basically you're running into rooms, but you've got to avoid being seen by the guard, too. So the guard, you'll see it flash that yellow. Hopefully it's showing up in the stream. I can't tell. Yeah, yeah, it's a quick flash. Because it basically shows the directions he's looking for. Yeah, that's basically his line of sight. Yeah. Yeah. Why does the whole screen go blank? Because that's you walking. He's walking into a new room and he's exploring that room. And it's dark and you're kind of exploring. Oh, okay. Almost like it's dark. Okay, now he's down there in the purple on the bottom. And did he just leave the screen? I don't know. What the hell is he doing? Yeah, you, he's just walking into the room, and then he accidentally walked back out again. So he's in that little room that's labeled power plant. He was, yeah. yeah. The guard's coming at you, bro. It was a pretty pretty interesting little game here. I've it is. It is. It's kind of hard to... It definitely needs some ab- proper instruction. Absorb what's going on there, but there's a lot going on on the screen. A lot of animation and movement and stuff. And um, yeah, timers. It looks like you're allowed to stay in a room yeah. for so many. And I'm I'm wondering what his routine is to get the text up there inverted. I wonder if he's doing some type of poke that forces it, or if he's got a routine that, you know, figures out how to get the inverted text with the spaces and other like all those um, kind of uh, punctuations and... and stuff. You can't print norm normally. Yeah, that's in the Inverse. You have to poke it on there. So, hey, Jim Gary's out there saying, hey, so Jim Gary's watching us live. Hey, Jim. Um, yeah, but I like his routine, how it, he just throws the in, everything's inverted in one shot as it's being rendered to the screen. Yeah. And then I'll just fast forward a little bit here because you actually do escape, I think. How does he die on the first one? Because you have to get the commandant, I think, is the ultimate goal. I don't know, but I saw the word mess tent, and I'm getting hungry. So, <laughs> <laughs> enter one for new. No, that's neat. Do you see how he's see how everything you got printed there was being printed invertedly, and the spaces yeah. and the numbers, and you can't do that in normal basic without somehow doing. Now, I something. did want to show you one other thing because the second game ends a bit differently. So oh, you got a ship going across there. Look at that. And there's your guard now. He, oh, so he's outside. At that point, now he's making his way. Now is this like a battleship type game now? It's space to reveal mines. E7. Uh, Jim could explain this better than I could. E7. <laughs> <laughs> what the hell is going on here? Like this looks like Minesweeper maybe or something? I'm not yeah, sure. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. Okay, Battle yeah. Ship. Yeah, this is kind of like a Minesweeper showing you how many oh, okay. things away yeah. stuff is. Yeah, how many surrounding squares have bombs or whatever it is. Yeah. Just so you have to discover yeah. where they are, then you have to escape out of it and then accomplish your mission. So. I'll let, I'll let uh, Jim do you know, A lot of stuff going in. on there. A lot of different game modes going on. He does say that it is basically just Minesweeper, that one section there. Yeah. And that's pretty cool. And then the second one he did is called Defender. So, of course, I assumed it's a Defender clone. And this is also based on the APF Imagination Machine game. Now, the way he worded it in the description, it sounds like uh, this is... Um, 
based on some graphics he saw in an APF Imagination Machine, but maybe not the game itself. Now he can clarify that. Uh, but basically, this is a Missile Command style game yeah, with like a city background. And this is also 10 lines of basics. So, I mean, it, it flickers the screen because it redraws the screen each time just to make calculations. I don't know what all this REM stuff is, though, but maybe you know. Well, this is part of the uh, the 10, 10, uh, 10 line basic programming contest. Okay, so all this stuff here right now is not part of the 10 lines. Not part of, of the code. 10 lines of the code, okay. yeah. It's, it's instructions and but basically. You know, I don't know why you have REM 789012. I don't know what that does, but. Uh, the, 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 base, the basic programming contest had limits to the line lengths and it was different categories depending how long your lines are. Oh, look at that. Oh, so now this is you trying to stop. I like the cities. Those REM statements could be just storage space. Uh, that could be. Could be. I think it was just to make sure he didn't go over the line length limit because there's like an 80 column. Oh, oh that's like a spacer to space out characters or something. Yeah. Oh, no. You sunk my battleship. Uh, you well, for 10 lines of basic, it's oh, not bad. No, this is really good. I love the way the city looks. Anyway, I'm going to play the whole thing. That is neat. Good job, Jim. I like that. Very impressive. Yeah, he says missile command just inspired by the screen from an APA. Yeah, game. he did say uh, measuring the line length. Okay, that makes sense. <laughs> and Fred says this is ten lines. Yeah, right. Next up, Paul, Paul Shoemaker. Shoemaker. So we've seen his uh, Poker Squares game, which he's done you know, the Coco One and Two version. He's done a Coco Three version. He's done a Coco VJ version. Now he's been fiddling around with the card sets here to fit on a slightly smaller screen and also changing the palettes on the Coco 3. So this is a quick demo of his uh, Hold my bear. new design cards. Oh, wow. This is starting to look like Sierra Online type stuff, man. Oh, my God. This is, reminds me of like the card games you would play like in Space Quest and stuff. Uh, yeah, nice little shadow under games. the card. Yeah. Oh, my God. And he's just been learning a semi-language too, which is what he wrote this in. So it's uh... wow. Oh man, and that's so fast. That's why you got to learn assembly there. Oh Steve. man, is there like a table involved in this? And like, oh yeah, uh, there would be. You got to like do after like load an X, Y, or Z or something, man. <laughs> yeah, Z register. You got a Z or Z. I got to load my Z, man. That would be a, a good a good thing for compiling. Yeah. It'd be nice to be, compile a card. That way you can just you can slam a card out. Like, oh, so. like compiled sprites? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean, yeah, the card has a lot of white space for a lot of them, so yeah, that would compile quite well. Yeah. I mean, cool, cool. That stuff. is uber impressive. <clears throat> Next up, there's a tweet here from, um, is that Stefan Vogt? I'm not sure how to pronounce that. Yes. But apparently he's been working with the Infocom engine, you know, the guys who made Zork and Hitchhiker's okay. Guide to the Galaxy and all the text adventure games that, you know, Ed Snyder's ported over to the uh, Coco VJ 64 column mode and a bunch of other things. So he's doing an original one called Hibernation 1. And uh, this is kind of a screenshot of the Coco version. So he said, no, you thought 24 systems not up because he's already ported this to 24 different retro systems mm. of 8 and 16 bits. Now he's added the Coco and then apparently there's the Dragon version because the keyboard routines are a little bit different. So the Dragon version is getting done right now. But um, it, uh, he's gotten a lot of comments on here, but some people were saying, like, you know, they took a look at Moby Games. They said the Coco's only had, like, three games done in the last 32 years or something like that. So, obviously, Moby Games is way out of, way out of date. So, I'm not on Twitter, but if one of you guys wants to go and correct some of these people and point them out to, uh, you know, the games page or the Color Computer Archive or Coco Talk or something like that, we can clue them in. And if he wants to come on and you know, promote the new game, you can do that, too. 
but it's actually sold with professional packaging so he's actually got options where you get you know the full color oh, wow. jewel case and stuff with it too so it's a it's a full-blown adventure game but nice. one of the biggest cross-platform projects i've seen and then the last one here so uh cuthbert dragon has been doing some more of his videos and most of the games we've seen before. But this is a one I have not seen. It's called The Sword and the Sorcerer. This is the window reflection guy, not the lava lamp guy. Yes, that's I what can the tell white, by the window reflections are there. Yeah, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, this is written in basic. It looks like it's not running the high-speed poke even in basic, so it's running slow. But the it presentation, looks, the actual graphics are yeah, quite well done. It looks really good. So you know, his text prints a little bit slow, so you yeah. could use an MLT in there. But oh, take a look well, at some of the that, the speed of the uh, that uh, Minotaur dude popping up was pretty quick. Yeah, I'm imagining it's just to get the buffer. But... The font was uh, font ret yeah, and that's like a line BF to fill it in. Yeah, yeah, and then you go onto the hallways, and the doors change as you navigate. Okay, over. so Torsten says he will invite Stefan to promote his game here. I would love to have him. Look at that. It's a oh, cool. it's, it's the mythical unicorn. It's it's good luck if you see a unicorn. Uh, your strength is... Yeah, and he's even got objects that appear that he draws the graphics from instead of trying one. Drink potion. Oh, yeah, here you a, see a cyclops, a, cyclops? a mallet, and a stake. And you can see the mallet, the stake, and the cyclops all are, are you always in the same room? Or is that just like the whole world looks like this way and it just turns yeah, doors just, on Yeah, you'll see what doors change okay. like where the doorway so that... is versus a non. Okay. All right. You I mean, this is mallet. one where if you did an ML routine just to do the text, this would be yeah. so much faster. Yeah. Power ring. Oh, look at that's like a ring or something. That looks really yeah, good. Power ring. But he's got these really good graphics and he's got oh, a lot absolutely. of variety of oh. monsters. Is that a Here's scorpion? a dagger and a giant spider. Yeah. Oh, that looks really good, that cobra. Yep. And the mace. Yeah. I was gonna mention Paul Shoemaker had done a fairly decent graphical RPG style game too. Remember he had to yank it down because he'd use graphics that Dungeon Crawl. Were, yeah. yeah. And then he was working on another one that was like in semi-graphics mode with the, the kind of the 3D perspective. Um, like he, he could literally steal some of the graphics out of this game, which is already for the Coco and Dragon, and, and actually replace some of his. I would game not use the word steal, but, you know, borrow. No, that looks really good. The lion, yeah. roar. <laughs> <laughs> lion in the shield. A Roman shield. You attack well. You do 46 much, damage. Much better than you the Greek shield, well. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> uh. Anyway, no, it's got, it's got some really nicely well done no, graphics. very well done. Oh, that's a nice sword. Like, dude, every room's got something. Where, where, What dungeon is this? It's like every time you take a step, you're finding something. And it's like, well, is that a dragon? A yeah, red dragon. Ooh. Your offer is refused. What did he offer it? Money? Sexual favors? I mean, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, I thought it was a very, very well done presented yeah, basic Yeah, absolutely. Game. Really yeah. well detailed graphics for, you know. Yeah, like yeah. So this is this is screaming for some, you know, optimizations and some yeah. stuff. Oh, the skeleton looks pretty cool. You attack, do 15 damage, you defend well, you take four hits. That is super cool. Our and mail order brides end. real. That was uh, that was a video up there. I was saying is our mail order brides real. I, I really want to know. Um, I don't want to get you in trouble with your wife. Or yeah, no, I I, I tell her all the time that my next wife will be from Amazon because they offer no hassle returns. So she's aware of that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> available in two days. I can have her in two days, and I can send her back at any time. Drop she's her off at a UPS store. <laughs> 
let's hope you had a large back, uh, large doghouse. Uh, awesome. Um, so yeah, uh, thank you everybody. Uh, we're not done done yet, but we'll be done here soon. Um, round of O, thank you. And uh, he's no longer here, George J. But thank you, George, for doing that. Um, I, I think we're, we're entering somewhat new territory with the this kind of live assembly thing and it's going to work itself out and part of that um, evolution is going to be based on some feedback and so we definitely encourage you guys to do that um, number one while we're live and number two in the discord discord's available all the time right so it's always there uh, give your feedback ask your questions and what would you like to see? I gave some examples on what I personally like to see, but I don't want to be the yeah. person who's driving this. And it's not going to be, hey, let's do what Steve wants. I think wants. you have to be a bit shorter and a bit simpler just because yeah. it's a yeah. lot to take in. So that's yeah. one suggestion. I don't I want it just to be the uh, let's make Steve happy and shut him up series. I want it to be useful, but I gave some yeah, suggestions. Yeah, we know that's impossible yeah, anyway. Exactly. On both counts. Um, but no, it's, it's, it's like anything else. Like even in the show, our normal show, it's like, okay, how can we please everybody? We have game on, not everybody's into games. We have news, some people don't like the news, some people love the news. So we're trying to offer a variety of things, and I think everybody's going to have their favorite piece and their least favorite piece, but you know, over time the show has always kind of evolved, and it's basically evolved based on not only us on the panel, what we think we should do, but feedback. Like game on was a suggestion from Mr. Dave, you know what I mean? So your suggestions and your and your requests, we, we try to incorporate them as we can and as it makes sense and stuff. And um, so we're always looking for that feedback to help make the show as good as it can be. But we can't we can't do a committee and say, everybody, well, what would you like us to do on our show? This, well, that's not going to happen, right? So we're not we're not going to design by committee, but we try to take everybody's input into consideration and bring a little something for everybody. But we're never going to have the perfect mix of everything that's going to make everybody happy all the time. It's just, you can't do it, right? So... Yeah. Um, also, I, I would a brief mention before we go out here. Uh, Boat, I think you just uploaded the new tour uh, this week in retro. And yeah, I, mean, I, don't, yeah. I don't think there's any Coco specific stuff, but the one headline thing about uh, Ken Roberto Williams might have a little bit of a Coco history because actually did do a fair bit of the Sierra games for the, the Coco. Yeah, you know, uh, Roberta and Ken Williams are returning to game design. I Ooh. guess that's the biggest story of the week. So uh, look for, be on the lookout for a, a new game coming from them. There's also I know that there's probably some folks here that are into the uh, the early early microcomputer scene. Uh, there's a new PDP-8 replica. The original I think weighed something like 250 pounds and took up you know four square feet of floor space. Uh, there's a uh, there's a guy in Sweden that's making PDP-8 replicas that are like 250 bucks that fit on your bookshelf. Uh, they they're powered by Raspberry Pis. They've mm. still got all the you know the front the front mounted switches and lights and stuff like that. Uh, so uh, if you're into that, that that was the other thing that I figured that that some people might be into. I'm thinking about getting one to just put you know right behind me it on the shelf like, here. It's a cool looking light uh, yeah. blinky yeah. light dude. Rick yeah, Adams exactly. would like that. Our guest from earlier <laughs> yeah. on because that's what he he started with. And I know job. Paul Fiscarelli had one somehow that he had brought to a few um, of the Tandy assemblies and stuff. He had some type of replica with the the, the big head end with all the red lights across it mm -hmm. and. Um, I mean, so. just just as something to put on the shelf that looks cool. Oh, absolutely! Uh, you can't beat a PDP eight. So yeah, this yeah. weekend retro, check it out. Yeah, awesome, awesome. Um, so yeah, I, what I would like to do starting next week is um, okay reacquisition uh, from Chris Durris. The Coco three of questionable treatment just arrived back from Ed Snyder with eight megabytes and a Gimme X. Now to make some desk space for my new setup. Oh, good job, Chris. Good to hear that. 
Reacquisition. Okay. Speaking of acquisitions, at some point in time, we'll have Brian Weasler on, and he's going to have a ton of stuff to show us. That we're gonna have he's going to have a series. We're going to have to show you stuff in slices of, of stuff that he's been getting. He's, he recently got a few truckloads full of goodies that we'll have to unveil. That's um, literally. That's yeah. not figurative. Um, so, yeah, good stuff. Uh, just, just out of curiosity, for those who are on the panel now and those who are watching now, let's go over everyone's favorite part of the show your favorite segment so curtis uh, don't say news but uh, <laughs> no but if that is if it's literally is what what, what do you like about it's it's an upcoming nitrous nine only section yeah. i'm looking forward what's your to favorite part of the show curtis besides the outro credits um <laughs> i don't know i kind of like the whole show I, I i try to keep my perspectives on the cocoa to be very wide ranging like i don't just do programming i don't just do news i don't don't just do gameplay i i try to follow all of them like i'm not one of these people <clears throat> that watches a podcast on on coco or anything else for that matter and only picks certain little pieces that they want to watch and skips the rest of it i'm one of these idiots that actually watches the whole thing through nah. so I, I don't really have okay fair you know, enough a favorite favorite fred provancha says he likes news and game on uh boat what's your favorite part of the show I like every part of the show that moves quickly. <laughs> Just, no matter what it is, can't be too yeah, long. No matter huh? what it is, as long as it's bam, bam, bam. I think that if you're going to do a two-hour segment and then you peace out right afterwards, that's no good. Right. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Jim Gary says news and game on. I'm not just saying that because I'm a Canuck. <laughs> Ron, uh, I'm gonna, I know your answer. It's the Samuel Gimes song parodies, right? Yeah, sure. <laughs> Anybody that sings pretty much that isn't, you know, doesn't have any kind of, uh, how would you say, gift no. of doing it, <laughs> which would include you. <laughs> you know? <clears throat> this is, you know, I'm afraid sometimes our show is like, uh, it, it sounds a little not masculine. You know what I mean? Like, it's like a bunch of girls trying to um, put together a show and, it just gets real, you know, I don't know, wimpy-like. What 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 gets wimpy? The singing? Is that what, gir oh, is that what girls, is that what makes it all glammy for you? The David Ladd stuff, and, you know, the, 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 I don't know, just a lot of the stuff is just not, um, just doesn't seem manly. I don't know. Okay. All right. <laughs> so, so we need. To me, it's like, you know. Hi everybody! All no. right. So you're saying, you're saying that we need we we, are, we our testosterone level is getting lowered and we need to we need to yeah, pump it up. I, mean, I agree with you, Ron. We need an injection yeah. of Barry White in this thing. Man. All right. Okay. Yeah. So Ron Devo yeah. thinks we're a little too soft, and that's okay. Everyone's got loud, yeah. entitled to their opinion. I, I enjoy the show. The news and the and the, and when we have guests on are awesome. Okay. Interviews and, and news. That's you're... worth it all. Okay. Yep. Uh, Canadian Retro Thing says, I like any time that I am mentioned. <laughs> Let's be a uh, Canadian thing. Yeah, I, uh, it's all important. Dave, Mr. Dave says it's all important, but I need to know the next game always. That's a game yes, on thing. He always uh, asked me early. Chris can. Duris says, I like Samuel Gimes and I like acquisitions. And Torsten likes the news. What about you, Rick? What do you, what do your, what is your things you like? I like. The fact we have a number of different people covering a number of different things rather than two guys do the same thing every week and they have their sit bit okay that's the show so some dynamics 
Exactly. Yeah. Okay. And I, I'm going to say for you, Nick Morota, it's got to be what now? What is your favorite part of the show, Nick Morota? Acquisition. <laughs> Acquisition. Like, I, <laughs> hey, dodge the I bullet really, there. I really enjoy when we can talk to developers about the games like today. Yeah. Like, I really yeah. thought that was awesome. Uh-huh. Yeah, um, interviews is a big one. I, I guess if I ever did have to pick a favorite, interviews actually would be it. Sorry. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, I'd cool. say interviews and acquisitions are my favorite. Mark Bosley, what about you? Yeah, I like the whole show. It's the best nap I get all week. Yeah, right, right. It's that's um, you know, it is what it is. It's uh, we're, we live to serve. We, you know, we're not trying to please everybody. We're trying to, to cover a lot of things and do quality and do respect to the things that need it and have fun at the same time. Not take, you know, I. It's like um. I view this as a variety show. Yeah, it is definitely it's a, variety a variety show. show. I wouldn't say that this is a podcast. Even though we provide an audio replay of the show, this I don't look at the I've never looked at the show as a quote unquote podcast because I think podcasts for the most part have a certain formula. And even though we have structure to it, I don't think I don't think there's a formula here. And I like the fact that it's dynamic and it's spontaneous and sometimes it can go long and sometimes it can go too long and longer than it needed to. Sometimes it's like, oh, man, I wish it would have went longer. I wish we could have talked more about this. So you never know what you're going to get, that whole box of chocolates thing. Um, but, yeah, I mean, we're very critical. And honestly, I think the people who are going to judge this the most is ourselves, where we're always internally trying to think of other things. How, how, you know, how could we have done this better? Or, you know, what can we do better next time? Or what else can we add? What we can change? So we're constantly internally having these discussions on the fine tuning and the optimizations and stuff like that. And then we take feedback all the time. And I love it. So some of the best things of these happy little accidents have become runaway successes like the game on and things like that. Right. So, um, yeah, we're always looking for that input. Um, I would say too. Yeah. So next week, just because of my time and life and stress and other obligations i want to try to slide the show back an hour and we're going to see how that goes and it's not going to work for everybody and i can't worry about that working for everybody it's going to work as well as it can for as much of us as it can and you know like for nick Morentes, he can just join an hour later because i know he gets up at 4 a.m as it is to be on the show at two o'clock so why ask him to get up earlier just jump on later when you know the show's still going to be going for three hours no matter when so if you jump on <laughs> an hour into the show it's like you really haven't missed anything you, you missed you know um whatever so uh and you can always replay it so we're going to try that we're going to see how it goes and uh and always take your feedback so always looking forward to feedback on the show we do have a channel in discord called coco talk lobby where you can always just say hey man can you know, we like this do that do this do that by the way the news links we didn't have a lot of news links posted, but Curtis, I yeah, think, I did post it in. But just a reminder, those are in Discord too, right? So there is a channel under Coco Talk that's called News Summaries. It's a text file that has a link to everything that was talked about in the news. So if you ever want to go back and revisit the YouTube video or the webpage, that's there. Um, and so on. And I, I, I just... I appreciate everybody who shows up to be on the show and everybody who shows up to uh, watch the show. It's been, to me, it's, it's, and who would have thought we're on 215 episodes and we're still here, right? So it's a good time and hopefully the times will continue to be good and maybe even get better as we go on. So thank you everybody. L Curtis, thank you for being here. Boat. Yep. I also wanted to do a shout out because uh, uh, Boat actually had a good suggestion for those people that are, you know, there's some of the segments are not really your bag. Drinking helps a lot. So. <laughs> Earplugs, earmuffs, <laughs> uh, yeah, blinders. Uh, Boat, thanks for being here, and thanks for all you do for the world at large. Hey, I'm always glad to be here. This is the highlight of my week. 
Rondell Vogue. Seriously. Listen, That's Ron, I'm going to see my doctor and see if I can get some testosterone shots and I can't man up for you next week. Uh, I don't want to, I don't want to let you down. You don't have to, you don't have to do that. Just, uh, <laughs> you know, maybe we should have a couple of mountain man guys on or something. Oh, we got you. We got the timber man. Right. Come on. Yeah. Well, Come listen, on. we've got enough beard to take yeah. us home. But we yeah. Rick, you in between and, Ron and, and Rick, uh, Thanks. And th- by the way, thanks for your submission for the newsletter, which I need to now get the first draft thrown together now. So look for look forward to a newsletter. And Nick Morota, thank you for everything you do for Game On. You put a lot of time into that. It's been fun being able to make some of these videos for you and doing some creative things when yeah, possible. I appreciate that a lot. Um, but, you know, uh, we you take it seriously. You do it well. You're, it's a great segment. You you own it with pride, and you do you do us proud. So thanks for doing that. Thank you. Mark B., thanks for always being here and for streaming when you have to and filling in for my Slack. We always appreciate that. Thank you, audience. And we're going to press the button. Say goodbye, everybody. Goodbye. See you all next week. Bye. See you, everybody.